All right, we are here. Man, what a trade deadline. Uh, what a show we got for y'all today. I have had both of these fine gentlemen on my show several times over the years, like at different points. But today, listen, you know, 16 trades went down. We've been talking about this for a while. We finally made it happen. Everyone together. I have Josh Earl on one side, Gary Bougain on the other. Actually, visually, I have them both on one side and me on the other. But point being... <laughs> We are all here together. Real quick, follow Josh on Twitter at 2RedJEarl. Follow Garrett, of course, on Twitter at Garrett Bougay, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. My brothers in basketball, how are we tonight? Doing well, man. Yeah, doing great. Excited to, uh, yeah, to finally get on a pod with uh, with both you and, and Josh, of course. It's, uh, and yeah, we uh, we had quite a busy day today, so lots to discuss. Absolutely. I mean, we listen, we're going to waste no time. We have a lot to go over. We're going to get right into it and go from there. KD, like, wow, we were, I just finished recording a separate pod last night and I was just scrolling through Twitter mindlessly just before going to bed. I was like, let me just refresh it one last time. And then I see that and I went, like, knocked over some of my fungal pops. I was in just shock because I was really proud of my Lakers and then all that happened. We'll get to them later. But let's break it down. Kevin Durant from Brooklyn to Phoenix. Uh, Kevin Durant along with TJ Warren, Brooklyn sought and received just, I guess, the entire Godfather offer they were looking for. Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, a 2023, 2025, and 2027 Suns unprotected first round pick, as well as 2029, and a 2028 first round pick swap. Wow. Like, there's so much going on there. I, I throw it. Throw, throw you, Garrett, give it back to you, Josh. We're going to kind of break it down from how we all saw this. From jo- Garrett, if you want to just kind of take it from Phoenix's angle, like obviously is KD, obviously striking now, but giving up that much, is that something you were totally in play for? I mean, it's a it's a massive haul, but, you know, you, you talk about how, you know, Chris Paul is, what, 38 at this point? So, um, you know, he's... He struggled to start the season, but but CP3 is playing better as of late, and you don't know how many more years of quality basketball you have left in him. So there is somewhat of a pressure to to you know compete for championships right at this very moment. And of course, Kevin Durant helped you do that, uh, as you said, Corbin. Though they gave up an awful lot to get him, including basically every quality wing that they had on their roster. <laughs> so. Uh, they, there's, there's some question marks now, even though, you know, that top four of Kevin Durant, uh, you know, um, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton is very lethal, especially on the offensive end of the court. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's question marks over who's the fifth starter. What's this bench going to look like? What are they going to be able to do to sort of bolster the depth, uh, at the buyout time? But uh, yeah, it's it's obviously a very fascinating move, and the the Western Conference is pretty wide open, so it puts them, if not at the top, very near at the top of as being Western Conference favorites. Absolutely, it, it's it's one of those trades that again you look at it, and I'm still getting over just how much was sent to Brooklyn, but you have the chance to get Katie and immediately vault yourself to the top, you know, in Western Conference supremacy in this wide open West. Very interesting. Josh, I want to definitely get your thoughts on this as well as, well, first, let's get your thoughts on this. There's so much, y'all. I'm freaking out. Yeah. So, first off, uh, like, obviously, you have to do this deal if you're Phoenix. Uh, Also, 
brand new owner trying to put his stamp on the organization, trying to prove like, hey, guys, I'm a good owner. Like, hey, yeah, uh, this is the way to do it. Um, I don't quite buy that they're now at the top of the West. Uh, I don't know why everyone's discounting Denver. They kind of disappointed me today, but like they have the third time MVP, fingers crossed, um, and, and like Murray's getting healthier and stuff. I, I don't think Denver should be overlooked. Uh, of course, I also live in Denver, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and, and also, I, I love what Brooklyn's actually done between this and the Kyrie deal is Brooklyn, with the exception of OG Anubi, basically has cornered the market on the only actually legit can't be played off the court on offense or defense in the playoffs three and D wings. Like, like they have everybody who's not on a max contract like Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant himself. Um, so now they have, they're four deep at, with Mikhail Bridges, um, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, like, like they're, they're stacked with that, which means they now have so much leverage when all of these teams that are trying to come out of the West or trying to come out of the East who struggle against the bigger wings are going to be calling them at draft time. And, and they can be like, you know, maybe Royce O'Neal or, or Dorian Finney-Smith might be worth a first most of the time. Guess what? We want two. What are you going to do about it? Masai wants like three or four for OG. We're not giving up Mikhail. So what are you going to do? That's so I, I think that's a really interesting thing. Um, all of those picks, you know, like they did better with getting unprotected picks than uh, Utah did, which we'll discuss later. <laughs> um, and and I, I just love the defense that this uh, – Nets team is going to have like they're not going to slip out of the playoffs um and so like this team at the very least is going to give Boston and uh Milwaukee if Middleton's healthy like real fits because we can just throw 48 minutes of good wing defense against your best players and at least make you really work to beat us which you will but still (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. Gary, did you like, I mean, obviously you like the whole Brooklyn God. Are you um, optimistic as well? I imagine about how they can operate moving forward. I guess we can kind of focus on Brooklyn here because they really didn't make any other moves after this. So we can kind of get them, you know, set up and sent on their way. But yeah, just looking at, again, like Josh said, all of the non, you know, max three and D wings, they got all the wings, more wings than KFC right now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they're they're a, they're a really interesting group, and what's what's also fascinating about their situation is that they have hardly any of their own picks, but then a bunch of picks from other teams. So they have no incentive to tank, uh, which is which is probably good. But you know they can still get some potential, uh, you know, high picks in the draft in these upcoming years. But yeah, they're they're going to be really fun to watch, uh, as Josh said. They're they're deep all over the place, and uh, you know didn't you were focused on the wings, but like even at, at the guard spots with like Dinwiddie, they still have Seth Curry and Joe Harris and Cam Thomas. Like they've got, they've got a lot of guys there and they've still got uh, Nick Claxton who's having a great season. So um, they, they just have quality players all over the court. And 
frankly, those are the teams that I, just as the basketball nerd, I, I really enjoy watching is the teams with without, you know, those true stars, but just quality players all over the place. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be good. They're going to be a team that is going to make you beat them. As Josh said, someone probably will. But, you know, they're, they're not just going to give it to you. Uh, and, and, yeah, I think they're going to be they're going to be good. And they've got uh, they've got guys that they can trade to, to continue to build their their draft asset hall in the, in the next couple of years. So, yeah, they're they're in a really good place. Yeah, I like what they got on both sides. Uh-huh. I just want to add also Sean Marks, Jock Vaughn and everybody on the staff now don't have to spend as much money on Tylenol and Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> like the anxiety is much reduced. Uh, the headaches are, are they're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, whoa, is this what is this what regular people feel like? I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm, I don't have an anxiety disorder anymore. And that alone go. is and that alone is a great haul. Yeah, but uh, if, we were talking about this before we came on live, right? Like, we're, we're looking at this more from, like, ideally, like, let's analyze the moves. Let's see, like, what we like, what we don't like. Not necessarily a winner-loser um, type thing. But if there is a winner, like, vibes, I think. I think, you know, just before we came on and recorded this, I was just watching the Brooklyn Nets um, beat the Chicago Bulls, which, Chicago, Lord. Anyways, and it was funny. Like, good game. You know, Spencer did what he was big. Joe Harris had 18 points in the first half, bunch of threes. Like, good team effort. At the end, they're interviewing Spencer Dinwiddie. Of all players, historically not cheerful, Cam Thomas comes in and crashes the post game and ends up hanging out, answering questions the entire time. Ben Simmons comes over and gives some love, like before he leaves, like actually decides to go in front of the cameras and does that. Same with um, Royce O'Neal. Like instantly the vibes look better. Of course, you had, a, they kept showing um, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson sitting in the stands. And they were yelling with excitement with some shots. And I'm like, that's dope. You know what I mean? Like, you see them all excited. And even Spencer Dinwiddie, as I love how real he can be. He's like, yeah, like, you know, you don't lose Kevin Durant and you're better. Like, you know, we're going to have to figure this thing out. But, like, we're going to be a good team. We're going to do our best. And we don't know what we got. We got some interesting pieces. We got some interesting pieces. And that will be fun. Like, that right there, I was like, yes. Like, I'm right there with Garrett. Like, this is going to be a fun team to watch. I think is what Sean Marks wanted. I wish Steve Nash was still in the area as much as I love Jock Vaughn, just because it's that type of positive vibes. It's not a cloud over your head. There's no superstar ego tending you have to do. Um, that's Phoenix's problem. No, no disrespect to Kevin Durant. He's one of the most like low, like there's not really a whole lot of ego stroking you have to do for Kevin Durant, but I'm just saying like right now you have a team that just is going to put their hard hat on it and go. And yeah, and it's going to be fun because you don't have to worry about like, stars bashing the team on the way out not only saying where they left them but also you know when sorry Kyrie um I guess I'm not really sorry but when Kevin Durant um when he got interviewed about Kevin Durant being traded he's like well you know I'm glad he got out of there like like this isn't some some prison like you chose to go there <laughs> wild um but yeah I guess let's turn it over to Phoenix because Brooklyn in a solid place moving forward. Yeah, they're not winning the 2020 championship. Okay, expectations reset, but they're still going to be a very fun team and what I love to say, a very tough out. Phoenix now, you have, I mean, I've seen so many funny names for it, but you have the mid-range coalition, you know, <laughs> between Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. Uh, we'll start with you, Josh, go to Garrett. How do we feel about Phoenix just looking at them, not even where they sit in the Western Conference, but like as they're currently constructed? First off, I think it should be the mid-range mercenaries. 
I like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think if they're healthy and they really hit the buyout market hard, they can make up some some uh, room and, and at least get into the top four. I think they're currently fifth. And uh, given how, you know, the Grizzlies have kind of slid a little bit, they might be able to get up, you know, close to third and maybe second. I don't think they can catch up with the with the Nuggets, but um, you know the potential is very strongly there for them to, you know, close out the season really strong and, and have some momentum going into the playoffs. Um, but I, I am concerned about the health when you have four really really good players. Really solid, yeah, Garrett. What was your initial thoughts? Like you said, construction wise. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and and I agree with Josh. Like I, you know, I would probably take the field over over the Suns at this point. Uh, I, I do think that this, um, you know, this this vaults them into the conversation, um, and I think it also puts Chris Paul in a really good place. Where you know, I think one of the issues in last year's postseason run was when Devin Booker went down, I believe, with a hamstring injury in that Pelican series. Chris Paul played wonderfully towards the back end of that series and carried the load, but you could tell by by the series against Dallas, he was worn down. Uh, with, with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker now in the fold, I think Chris Paul is in a place where he can, he can play the way he wants to play, where he's a distributor, and then in very specific moments, in clutch moments, he can step up and, and uh, you know, uh, provide that energy. But then the... The other thing that is fascinating about Phoenix and in terms of potentially winning the West is that, yeah, you know, I agree, Josh, Denver still probably deserves to be the favorite given how they played, but we've seen that Phoenix is a really bad matchup for the Nuggets with Chris Paul and Devin Booker in their mid-range game. And also, you know, DeAndre Ayton, while he's not some great defender, he has shown that he's one of the better guys in terms of defending Jokic one-on-one. So, uh, you know, you, you throw, you add Kevin Durant to that as well. And I would be a little bit scared as, uh, as Denver, if I faced Phoenix in a seven game series. I agree. I think Phoenix is right now. The top end talent is just, it's really good. Right. Um, I don't know who's going to get to the room on a regular basis. Right. I mean, like that's going to be something, um, yeah, health is another thing as well because you are looking at guys, well, Booker just come back. And I feel like hamstrings are always tricky, right? We, we know how they're managing. Booker did not do a really good job. And I'm also going to put some of the blame on Coach Monty Williams as well in terms of managing that. But I think if we're assuming that he's back to full health now or as full health as he's going to be, then it's better than what he was doing beforehand, whatever nonsense that was to get in a, a rivalry game that we've already forgotten with the Pelicans. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure how that goes. KD obviously still injured. We're looking at him after the All-Star break. So once he comes, and, and assuming that they're going to maintain him and selectively send him out some games well, he's 34, you know, like, there's something there. But if healthy, yeah. Like, I mean, and we can't even – they're, they're going to be a very solid team. In fact, I kind of want to fold – the other because the Suns made that big trade and then they made a small trade with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I feel like this kind of closed out the Suns here. Um, but Dario Saric and a second to Oklahoma City for Darius Baisley. I, I think the way I want to ask this is did either of you like this trade? I guess okay. I'll go first, Josh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it was uh, 
I, I'm kind of mad on it. Like, yeah. I, I think Baisley provides a little bit more, you know, defensive versatility than someone like Saric. He's long and, and pretty athletic, but you know, he is, he is a limited offensive piece. Um, there's, there's some thought that maybe he could even play a little small ball five for them, but yeah, they're, they're kind of a small team as is. And, uh, It'll be it'll be interesting to see what Monty does with the rotations, and again, what what they do with the uh, with the buyout market is also going to play a big factor here. Um, but yeah, what I, I was also curious not only with this trade, but then like who's the who's the starting small forward on this team? Is it Tory Craig? Is it Wainwright? Is it Lee? I mean, it, it could be a variety of different options. Mm-hmm. Josh, yeah, maybe a Kogi, but. Um... I liked it for OKC. I liked yes. I liked Dario. Dario's been playing well, and they got a second. Like, plus, I think Dario really fits with what Sam Presti's trying to build in OKC, where everybody can pass and, and everybody enjoys passing. And, and like, I think the vibes really fit for Dario there. And I'm happy to see Dario healthy again, and, and now hopefully in a situation that's more conducive to him getting minutes and playing his way. Uh, for Phoenix, I'm very. That's a trade. It is indeed a trade. Like, well, like, yeah. like, <laughs> no disrespect to Baisley. Uh, I'm sure he'll he'll have some impact, but like, it it's a trade. Yeah, I agree. I'm. I I think I want to touch on something y'all both pointed out. I mean, if there is a weakness on Phoenix, uh, and trading them over over, so really assuming just bio guys of which I don't know. Like, who is? I, I just say that wing, right? Because even if you say KB's the three, okay. Who's the four, right? Do you do you trust either of those guys you mentioned? They're all nice guys, nice players, but between Craig, Wayne Wright, like they're not you know, Kogi, like none of them are great shooters, right? And you're playing and, and all of them are relatively undersized if they're playing at the four. If they're playing at the three, okay, fine, but you don't have shooting there. It's definitely gonna be different if you're looking at bio guys. Like wings are probably the one position that you're not gonna see a whole lot of movement bio wise. You know? I mean Danny Green's out there. Um, uh, potentially, I mean, he's not there yet, but I, I imagine he'll be available. Um, there's been word about Terrence Ross, but you can imagine the Lakers and other teams will also be looking at those players as well, because that's a weakness for them. So, uh, do y'all think that that could be, it's ironic to say it, but the Achilles heel for the Suns team, either that, what's more, let me rephrase the question. What would be more of an issue for them? The, the lack of another wing outside of those four guys, those four spots or their bench, which I feel doesn't have a whole lot of offensive punch. You have to assume a lot of staggering, I imagine. I feel like it's, but they're intimately tied together. <laughs> like I, I feel like that—that's the problem. Again, it's—it's it's the same way I felt about the Blazers coming into this year, where like, yeah, they'll be fine. Like they—they could be even good if their top five stay healthy. And the second their top five were no longer healthy, what happened? And and with the Suns, you know, if any of like any of their top four it's not even a top five if any of their top four have you know time missing it's gonna be hard for them to you know be at that expected contention level so it's really gonna depend on what they do in the buyout market like you said i don't think there's any real point of attack uh bigger wing defenders that are going to be available really uh, other than 
Danny Green coming off of that significant injury at like 35 himself. Like that's kind of a risky thing. I could see them maybe going after somebody like a Kevin Love who will just further up that quotient of offense. Uh, it, it might be really fun in that group, but like the defense is going to be a, a tough thing that I think Monty is going to have to scheme for more so than them being able to kind of plug that hole easily. Well, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, another guy that I've heard rumored uh, to be a, a buyout guy is Will Barton. He's an option, you know. So there's there's some guys there that, that could help a little bit. But, yeah, I think beyond the the bench issues, I think just defense in general is, is a concern for this team. Now, I think they can score with just about anybody, especially if that top four is healthy. Um, but you know, when Kevin Durant is far and away your best defensive player, I, you know, that's, that's not a great place to be in. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. That definitely is one that you're like, ah, interesting. Uh, cue the Russell Westbrook, uh, uh, you know, gif there. Your gif. I always forget how to say it. Speaking of that though, let's kind of go, <laughs> let's go into that. It's a hard G, Corbin. It's gif. Hard G. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping someone was going to bail me out, and I was just like, eh. I'm like, all right, GIF. I always think GIF like Jiffy. Why? I don't know. When the GIF in Jiffy has a J. Anyways, moving right along. We'll, we'll finish that. There's a whole lot there. It stands um, for graphic. The G is graphic. Okay, I, but, but I, 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 think, I, I think, if I may, the the creator of it has referred to it as GIF. Which is causing the? I, I don't care. Yeah, no, no, I'm with Garrett. I'm with Garrett. It is, it is GIF because uh, it is GIF. It's a graphic done in a jiffy. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 <laughs> like, you know, in a jiffy. Come on, Gordon. Read the just, room, sir. Okay, I just wanted to be interchangeable. You know, tomatoes, tomatoes type, right? No, okay, fine. GIF for the record, uh, and GIF is law in Garrett's book. Um, I'm going to use either or probably because I will forget. But there we go. I love it. Um, let's go to the three-way trade, um, which, anyway, I had a funny meme I used for that. I was having fun with that one. But we had a point guard carousel uh, after the next point guard we'll talk about. We'll get to that. But Minnesota, Utah, Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles received D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, Minnesota got Mike Conley and, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, as well as a 2024, 2025, and 2026 Utah seconds. And then uh, the the Jazz got the 2027 Lakers first-round pick, protected one to four, which turns into 2027 Lakers second, not conveyed. And they got 2017 MVP, 2023 Sixth Man of the Year, also buyout candidate, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Gary, I'm going to throw it to you and then get to Josh because I know we all got thoughts on this one. However y'all want to attack this, we're just going to kind of get at it from different sides and we'll work our way to the middle. Thoughts? Yeah, I'll probably leave, I'll leave the Lakers thoughts to you, Corbin. I feel like that's the best way to do it. So I'll, I'll go, I'll start from the Utah side of things. Cause that's the one I have the strongest opinion about. I love I, this. You and Josh got so funny. Okay, let's do it. I, I don't, I don't get it for the jazz. You know, they're again, the, the, the protections on that pick one to four protected. If it lands in the top four, it immediately converts to a second. I mean, that's a terrible outcome if that happens. I know it's it's unlikely, but 
um, the fact that you're giving up the, in my opinion, the best point guard of the three in this trade, uh, you've got, you're also trading a, a quality big in Jared Vanderbilt on a good contract. You're trading Malik Beasley, a sharpshooter. Again, these are all guys that these other teams wanted, actively wanted on their rosters. And and you're trading three seconds to get one first in return. So you're getting really less than a first round pick worth of value for all three of those guys. I just don't understand it. it you know, there's there was a lot of talk that, you know, there were teams like Portland that were interested in Vanderbilt. I mean, there were there were different ways to go about doing this where you could have traded the guys in separate deals and gotten, in my mind, more pick value here. Um, but it seems to me that Danny Ainge like heavily prioritized the idea that the the salary matching was just Russell Westbrook. We're going to then, you know, release him and that will make us much worse for this year. And I, and I do think that has value getting their pick. You know, if, if they can get to the sixth or seventh best lottery odds to, to potentially get a Wembenyama or a Scoot Henderson, that has value. But I think you could have done that with still getting a good value in terms of the picks coming back. Josh, you got you yeah, carry off from there. I, 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 much like Garrett, I, I view this primary, and I also in our in that sports ethos mock trade deadline, I was the Jazz. So for some strange reason, I'm like deeply emotionally entrenched now <laughs> which is weird because i have no real connection to the jazz um it, it's baffling um i get that like for some reason the the league and the fans and the media seem to think that lakers pick is a like golden like mana from heaven like it's freaking darko milicic to uh con um <laughs> But it's like literally like that that pick should have been unprotected given the three guys they gave up like like let's be honest here or at least it should have you know like then gone to like the 2028 or 2029 uh with additional protections i understand why the lakers didn't want to do that but to have it almost practically like the, the whole roll the dice on this pick is that lebron's gonna be gone 80 might be gone. So chances are the Lakers, sorry, Corbin, are going to be pretty bad, uh, which likely means it lands in the top four. So the fact that they let, they agreed to a top four protection that then just converts to a second is ridiculous. Where, I, like, I get that maybe the perception of this pick is valuable, but not if it's going to be a second. Right. Like, and I, I need to I need to emphasize that, again, worst case scenario, they traded Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley and gave up two seconds to do so. Preach. That's the worst case scenario here. For a second. <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> the, the other thing with this is. Let's say it is the fifth pick in, in 2027. That means you get, or, or like the, the fifth best odds. That means you have an 89.5% chance of not selecting first from a pool of current, again, what do we say? Middle schoolers. Like the, this this pick is not the, the thing everyone thinks it is. 
and and the protections just make it a very weak return for what they sent out like, like they sent three of their top seven guys and admittedly like they're in the you know more ass for the uh play-in right like they're they're kind of mixed in with all those other teams like they're not having the type of season they started off having but still you're talking you know three of your top seven players for what very likely could be a single second yeah yeah Listen, obviously, I don't know what Utah was thinking um, from the way I broke it down because clearly I was surprised. When I first saw it, I was like, okay, like I don't like giving up both first-round picks or even like for that. For one first-round pick, I'd be delusional to say that we're not getting three of those guys. Like I'm happy, you know, they only took one at the same time. Like sure, but then when I saw the protections, I was like, whoa. Like, okay, Rob Palenka, I have to give you some love because I literally have a printout of every move that the Palinkas have, like, it's been ridiculous. That Palinka magic, it's it's not it's not a fun list. Um, but then I'm like, okay, you kind of redeemed yourself. But then once I saw the protection, I was like, oh, wow, like, great. And I was like, what is Danny Ainge thinking? Because he's notorious, as we all know, for driving up the value of his players, of his picks to just obnoxious degrees, right? Like, I don't know if there's another executive that we know that does it as consistently. You know, Trader Danny, like, it's for someone who – well, it's called Trader Danny. He's really hard to trade with. But for that to happen, I definitely think it's confusing. Now, if it was this master plan to, you know, sink in the settings and, like you said, get a top pick, whether it is Wombinyama, Scoot Henderson, I like Keontae George, whoever you're looking for, then, like, sure, if it works out, then it worked out. Even then, you realize that the Jazz could have done more, and I think that's what you both were saying. Um, let's take it over to Minnesota because Minnesota, uh, I mean – you know, you're looking for a point guard, obviously. Uh, D'Angelo Russell just wasn't working out. The vibes were all off. I think John Krasinski wrote a piece about how it just wasn't working between the chemistry with him and Gobert and, you know, him a little bit and Ant, even though they got along together well. It's contract year, and it's just been a lot for D'Lo. And so that marriage had to end. You get Mike Conley, who is only nine years older, um, average a career low 10 points per game. You're getting a kill Alexander Walker and you get a bunch of seconds. And we'll be saying that a bunch of seconds, five seconds, a bunch of seconds. We'll be saying that for the rest of this show. Um, and we're going to have to talk about where these seconds are coming from because people, Jim's pulling it out of there anyway. Um, but thoughts on Minnesota. Let's kind of dive in from there. Do we like the addition? Now, of course, Josh, we're going to throw it to you. Do we like the addition of Mike Conley there, and then we'll kind of get your opinion on Nikhil Alexander-Walker, get Garrett's thoughts. We, we kind of got to get – I think it's odd for Minnesota. Interesting because I think it was actually one of the smartest uh, acquisitions of the entire deadline. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, <laughs> first off, you, you had to make the note that it's Mike Conley's career lowest points per game, right? Like, it's I'm also his career high game. assists per game. I missed that in the notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shame, Corbin, shame. Um, so uh, we, Corbin and I talked about this for a long time after uh, our recent pod uh, where uh, we were talking about how Corbin thinks the Gobert trade uh, was like just a face fall right onto hard concrete um, and that, you know, Gobert should be traded again. Uh, I disagree. I think it's not Rudy's fault. I, I think it's the fact that Rudy Gobert is a pick and roll big, and D'Angelo Russell is not a pick and roll guy. Uh, he, he doesn't get into the paint. He's not really 
that kind of pick and roll playmaker and Anthony Edwards isn't there yet. Um, so Rudy really has nothing to do on offense right now, other than to set picks that, you know, his guards aren't necessarily using in the best way. Um, also, they just are atrocious at turning the ball over. We talked about this in our last pod, Corbin, and it's not like they're, you know, beautiful gaming it like the Warriors are. <laughs> like, these are pretty bad, like, just bad turnovers. Conley currently has like a four to one assist to turnover ratio. Conley has uh, a usage rate that's like eight percentage points lower than D'Angelo Russell, which means that once Cat comes back, there isn't going to be a struggle for shots. You know, Cat's going to have his normal usage. Anthony Edwards is going to have his normal usage, and you don't have to worry about the point guard taking shots away from them. In fact, Conley's going to get them shots, and he's going to space the floor just like D'Angelo Russell is, but he's also going to optimize Rudy on offense much more. And he's, let's just be honest, exceptionally better even at 35 defensively than D'Angelo Russell is. Um, so I, I think I, I think it's a really smart uh, acquisition by the Timberwolves. I think he's really going to make everything kind of click a lot better for them. Um, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a nice flyer to take on a young player who's shown some promise, has had kind of a career year so far. Plus, they get three seconds from the Jazz um, to kind of take on Conley's deal. Um, that I, I, I think Conley did well in this deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm honestly surprised. I mean, I'm in I'm in complete agreement, Josh, that this is a this is a good move for for the Timberwolves. Again, I I, I think Conley is the is the best player uh, the best player in this deal, and uh, the um, you know the the contract I don't even think is that bad. I don't I think it's like partially guaranteed for next year. Yeah. Uh, and and like he's he's still in my mind a starting caliber point guard in the NBA. So um, I I don't understand why uh, why Utah had to throw in seconds for Minnesota to you know I'm I'm using air quotes to take on <laughs> Godley's contract. Um, it, when you know, I think the Lakers are going to end up having to pay D'Angelo Russell quite a quite a big deal. I think his contract will be worse than Conley's next starting next season. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to say that, and you knew I was going to disagree. But I, I, I get trust me. I see I see where you're coming from this time. I've I've grown a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, I think it's it's a sol- it's a solid move for the Timberwolves. Yeah, not only to get an upgrade at the point guard position. Josh mentioned the chemistry that he has with Gobert that clearly Russell did not. And and then, yeah, to top that with, with getting some additional draft compensation, which they uh, frankly sorely need after making the Rudy Gobert deal. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement that it's a, it's a solid move for them and, and uh, we're going to get into it. I think it's a solid, solid move for the Lakers as well. Yeah, I just have to add, if it makes everything feel better and makes it more cohesive, the three of us, Corbin, I think Garrett and I, if you give us five second round picks, will agree to change our, our terming for Mike Conley from best player in the deal to most impactful player. That way you can still feel like the Lakers got the best player, even though you are wrong. 
<laughs> Done. Listen, I, I, I mean, you know this, but uh, Garrett, I'm 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 partial to second rounders and cash considerations. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. But um, no, I'm with you. I I, I I'm I, I'm messing around. Uh, I think the highs of D'Lo can be higher than Conley, but that's mostly from the offensive injection he provides. Obviously, defensively, he's not there. But I still think of any of them, like, if you're talking about a guy who can, like, win a – well, actually, Conley could win a playoff game. But a guy who can, like, go on a scoring explosion, I, I, and that's – you see, that's where my heart at the end is still kind of lies, and we've seen it. He had a big game against Philadelphia last month. We saw what he did in the play-in game against the Clippers last year. Like, there's still moments of that with um, D'Lo. Now, mind you, there's some valleys, too, that – Maybe Conley's peaks aren't as high, but his values are nowhere near as low. So I get you there for sure. And yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely shows you. <laughs> I did, yeah. It definitely shows you. Um, kind of, I guess. And we talked about this before. I think well, I've had we've had discussions many times, both of you, about how different GMs just value different players differently. Like both of you are like, hey, why would you give up? Like, why would I take picks to take Conley? Like, yes, give me Conley. And other teams might be like, listen, you know, take them. Here, we'll give you that for the privilege. You know, we we had that one with the five – I forgot. We'll talk about it later. But the five second-round picks for O.J. Crowder and the funny joke that was going around on Twitter about that. So, you know, as far as D'Lo, I mean, listen, we'll switch over to Lakers. Y'all know he has a special place in my heart. I trade for him in anything I usually do. Like, that's the ba- – and I shouldn't say this in a minute myself. I and you have did. <laughs> I traded for him on a mock trade deadline. Yes, I did. Um, And, you know, I didn't regret it. He was going to be in the backcourt. I regretted it for you. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Y'all are a mess. No, I I was very fond of D'Lo, still am. I think that one, let's kind of look at it. Just Corbin feelings aside, just looking at what the Lakers get, right? You get additional shooting, right? I mean, Malik Beasley is taking, I think, I looked this up, I don't remember the exact numbers, but outside of Steph Curry, like, one, he's in the top 10 in terms of like threes taken for like the minutes he's on the floor. Like he's getting them up and he's shooting like 36, 37%, which is right around league average. It's enough of a threat that people definitely think of him as more of a accurate sniper than he is. Right. But he's definitely someone that's going to bring that um, D'Lo. I mean, listen, he's more of a two level score mid range in from three, but that's helpful for a Lakers team that has struggled all season, just shooting consistently from outside. Both those guys also bring size at six, four. That's not even mentioning Jared Vanderbilt who had six, nine, much more of an inside player, a better interior defensive presence that the Lakers have had all season. I mean, outside of William Gabriel, all due respect to Thomas Bryant, who we'll talk about later, but he did not bring that. Um, so you have someone who can play the five and small ball small ball lineups and could also play the five. You want to put AD at the four, even though AD will be bigger in some inverted lineups with the Lakers with LeBron, that would help them be more stout defensively. So you like that. Um, he finishes well. He's a hustle player. Uh, Vanderbilt's not really a great three-point shooter. I think he's shooting 33% from three and most of it from the corners, but he still brings at least an element of that, which, you know, we weren't really getting a lot at all. So that, not we, the Lakers. So that's something that the Lakers are really beneficial to have, you know? And I think if you look at who they sent out, uh, real quick, I'm going to pour it out for Russell Westbrook. Like, it was a tumultuous relationship the entire time, and I feel bad for him because he's somebody who – for the record, I, I never wanted Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. But once he got on the Lakers, okay, listen, Josh, listen, Josh, listen. Let me, let me. I don't remember wanting him on the Lakers, Garrett. Listen, <laughs> for the record, I had a conversation where you were very excited about it when it happened. I was, listen, 
Okay, maybe I don't remember. It's you, been a long you time. You can't Cause... bullshit Garrett and I when it comes to how much you love Russell Westbrook. See, I need like, guests we who don't know. know me. <laughs> we know how much you love Russell Westbrook. Next time I'm going to rant two random people who send a StreamYard link. You're right. I can't do that with y'all. No. <laughs> y'all know very well. Point being, I thought it was going to be better. Um, I didn't necessarily – I liked Russell Westbrook. And my, my philosophy has always been I, I can get back to doing what I do, which is rooting 110% for Russell Westbrook, knowing that his peaks and valleys do not impact the team I watch at all. Like, that is just what it is. You know what I mean? Um, it felt bad to have a guy who's homecoming, you know, back to Los Angeles where he made a name for himself and really made, you know, his career before going to Oklahoma City kind of be booed when he started shooting the ball. You know what I mean? Like, but – it, it just didn't work. And, and people said that, both of y'all, very much, uh, on record, were very much against it and didn't think it was going to work. And, you know, okay, congrats, y'all, right, okay? Like, it didn't work out at all. Um, I'm going to be very quick on that. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. It didn't. And he needs to, I mean, he's going to hopefully find a, maybe it's across the hall, which we'll talk about if it happens. But, like, it wasn't working. So I don't want to say that Delo's an upgrade to Russell Westbrook in a vacuum, but, I mean, he kind of is for what the Lakers need to do, which is, having a guard who can play off of LeBron, who can provide for, for spacing and playoff. And we've seen LeBron can make do with those scoring guards that can do that. Like we saw with Ruby Gibson back in the day. We saw with Mo Williams. We've seen it with better versions of it when you had Kyrie Irving and Dwayne Wade. Like if you're a guard whose primary focus is scoring, like you can make it work with LeBron. And I think obviously D'Lo probably slots way more in that Mo Williams range. I think he's better than Ruby Gibson though, but way more Mo Williams and Dwayne Wade in this analogy here. But He'll play off of him. Malik Beasley, think J.R. Smith, think Mike Miller, think any of the shooters LeBron's played with. He'll be fine. And Vando is going to find a role as well. So I definitely think the Lakers, I don't want to say hit a home run, but they definitely hit a home run specific to what they needed. Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the big differences between D'Angelo Russell and Russell Westbrook that will you know, that I think makes the fit better with, with uh, D'Lo is that a, he can actually shoot. So yeah, you could, you could play him off of LeBron and AD and then defensively, you know, Russell Westbrook's strength is more that one-on-one. He's a strong guy. He's athletic. He, he can handle that. Um, but the Lakers have great help defense, so they don't necessarily need a, a guard that can handle one-on-one that well. Um, D'Lo, I think, is actually a better sort of help team defender, um, which is something I think that the Lakers can use. So, and, and he, you know, D'Lo struggles in those one-on-one matchups, but again, the, the Lakers have plenty of help defense at the rim to offset that. So, um, you know, I don't think it's like some massive upgrade in talent going from Russell Westbrook to D'Angelo Russell, but I think just in terms of the fit, it is. And, and you know what, Corbin, I, I'm going to give you your props. You know how I feel about the Lakers. I grew up in Oregon. I was in Oregon when the 2000 Western Conference Finals happened. I'm still pissed. Um, like, I, I, I'm not uh, in any way fond of the Lakers. I think Rob did a really good job today. Like, the fact that he got that top four protection and that it converts into a second uh, on this, like, I think – I think you can say the Lakers hit a home run on this deal. Even even if, like, again, like I said in our podcast <laughs> yesterday, uh, the Lakers aren't a contender, Corbin. They're not. Uh, they're not. They're still not. But they hit a home run on this deal. 
Okay, so devil's advocate here. Okay, like I'm not saying Lakers. <laughs> you can't you can't mess around and find out on like three straight seven game series against the best teams in the West. Like you can't, Corbin. I'm sorry. I mean, the '88 Lakers did it. No, I do. They had way better talent. we were probably yes, the they did. Yes, but, yeah, you know, multiple seven game series. Also, it wasn't a opponents. play in. They weren't. They weren't like the eighth seed, Corbin. Like, like don't Fair. don't get this twisted. The Lakers first have to get into the play in in the first place. They're thirteenth right now. Uh, like they have to get into play in range first, and then they're probably facing either the the Nuggets, the Suns, or the Grizzlies in the first round. I appreciate that LeBron James, many people's GOAT, and, and now the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and Anthony Davis, and, and better help, suggests that, like, hey, they could be a tough out in a seven-game series. They're not winning three straight series to get to the finals, Corbin. It's not happening, man. I'm sorry. Jared, do you concur? <laughs> I, I do, and I think a, a big – a big part of it is like, yeah, that this this is a massive win for them, not only because the the three guys that they're acquiring here are all young and they can potentially re-sign and keep them for the long haul, but they're like legitimate NBA rotation caliber players, which the, the Lakers were just lacking. They just didn't have those. Um, that doesn't mean that these guys are like great starters. You know, none of them, I would say, are a great starter to have, especially if you're talking about trying to compete for championships. So while, yes, it's it's a home run in the sense that they definitely improved. They got three guys that are worthy of being of having, you know, and playing NBA minutes and they're young. But, yeah, they they're they're 25 of 30. Right. They're they're. Uh, they're out of the playoffs right now. They they might be able to work themselves in. But as Josh was saying, in the first round, they're playing either like Denver or Memphis, most likely, and, you know, or Phoenix. And they probably have to beat all three to get through the West. And that's just it's just yeah. not going to happen. I'm sorry, Corbin. You know, I, I would normally try to fight a little farther and fight the good fight and try to convince y'all, but there's a saying that discretion is the better part of valor, and so you, we're you're not going to try that. to you're not going to try to say Mobamba plus those guys. Put them I, I was going to say you went to Bamba. <laughs> like, like, listen, we got room protection, but you know what? Let's actually touch on that really quickly because we can kind of close the Lakers out. Um, and if we weren't going almost an hour off of these first two trades alone. I would fight more to, to share my Lakers piece. Not saying that they will, but just saying that there's a conversation we have, but maybe it's not, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be. So let's talk about the other Lakers move real quick. Um, Mo Bamba comes to the Los Angeles Lakers in exchange for, it was obviously Patrick Beverly, who is soon to be bought out. And then it was a second round pick. I'm trying to... I couldn't I find I couldn't find the details for the, the yeah stuff. okay yeah. Well, I mean it's such a, let, let me just kind of get a rapid fire kind of reaction now because Mo Bamba twenty four year old twenty four year old twenty four years old can block some shots shoot a three he's been injury kind of riddled up and down Orlando like I, I've heard it as a constant target for the Lakers and in theory I understood it but I feel like the idea of Mo Bamba is probably better than the actual player Mo Bamba that's my initial thoughts uh, Josh Lewis. He's what I call a zoetrope player. So zoetrope for Corbin and anybody who else doesn't seem to know what a zoetrope is. It's actually uh, how 
movies work, how motion ah, pictures work. And it's just a series of images that how they're presented gives the illusion of movement. And so a zoetrope player is a player that shows flashes of ability that makes you think they're better than they probably are. Like Mike Conley. Just kidding. Garrett, your thoughts? Wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think Mo Bamba at this stage is like a slightly below average player on both ends, I would say, is how I would describe him. I mean, yeah, if he's endorsements, I love it. Yeah, if, if he's your if he's your backup center, you know, it's not it's not a terrible situation, but it's not something I'd be excited about. Um the the, the, the more interesting thing for me was the fit with like Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis, because, you know, we Corbin, you mentioned that Vanderbilt shoots a little bit from the corners. He's not really much of a threat out there. But I think one of the things he does pretty well to sort of, um, you know, offset his lack of spacing is the passing and he can handle it a little bit. So I, I am interested to see how he fits and how his passing sort of um, allows them to, you know, and of course LeBron and, and AD both want to score inside. And he's, again, not much of a shooter, but can his passing and his ball handling and, and that sort of thing, his versatility offensively, allow that to all mesh, even though maybe on paper it doesn't seem like it should. That's definitely fair. Josh, any final thoughts on that as well? I agree, Garrett, completely what you're saying. I think it's it's definitely when it's interesting. This Lakers team is definitely interesting now. That's yeah. can at least say that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you also factor in the deal that they did previously to bring in Rui Hachimura, the Lakers just added, let's see, uh, off the top of my head, four, five players who are 26 or younger. For, for a team that is built around like an older LeBron and – Let's be honest, AD is no spring chicken either, although considering I'm the same age as LeBron, it's weird to say that. Um, so, like, have it, like you, you got – I do think, and it hurts me a little bit inside to say this, I do think the Lakers did really well. Oh, Josh. No, I get it. <laughs> it's actually funny. There's a there's – a, I think it was – um, I forgot what tweet it was. But, yeah, the only Lakers over 27 are now Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Dennis Schroeder. Like yep. every the Lakers under the age of 27. And that's really kind of neat. So yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if this is a build, I would like to think it's a build both for this year and next year. But if you are looking forward, maybe this is like the next iteration of the Lakers moving forward with the better supporting cast, ironically trading their depth for Russell Westbrook and then trading Russell Westbrook back for their depth. Um, hilarious how that worked out, but let's talk about another hilarious trade. Um, Kyrie Irving uh, going from Brooklyn to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, real simple here. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks got Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris. The Brooklyn Nets, we already kind of talked about them, but they got Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, 2029 Mavs, unprotected first-round pick, as well as two seconds, both in 2027 and 2029. Uh, we already got Brooklyn's perspective. That's pretty much all covered. Uh, we can kind of dive into Dallas and any other random Brooklyn thoughts y'all may have. Garrett, initial thoughts. Well, yeah, actually, um, on the Dunked on Prime mailbag recently, Seth Partnow had a really neat uh, little snippet where he talked about the Mavs position, and he, he sort of compared um, teams and their sort of roster-building decision-making process from the lens of, like, tournament poker and how if you are low on chips, 
you start to then have to, you know, it, it might actually be the right move to go all in regardless of your hand, essentially. And given the situation with Jalen Brunson and how they completely, completely messed that up, the Dallas Mavericks were low on chips, right? And so you can sort of understand the rationale as to why they had to uh, to take this sort of a, a risk at this point. I don't like it for them. I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I would never make this sort of a bet on, on Kyrie Irving. He's proven who he, who he is at this stage. Uh, but you, you, you get it at this point. Like if you say, well, the, the Jalen Brunson thing is in the past. We're where we are right now to get a player as talented as Irving. It makes sense. It's a, it's a gamble that could theoretically pay off. I think Garrett's spot on with that last word, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically, this deal jacks up Dallas's variability in the playoffs. Like, theoretically, between Luka and Kyrie, you can go nuclear and win four games in a seven-game series. Problem is, Kyrie is known to go nuclear in other ways, too. <laughs> um, and... There's a non-zero chance that he actually alienates Luca, and we could see Luca asking for a trade sometime in the next couple seasons because Kyrie is gonna Kanye uh, his way into making a mess. Uh, I, I think the funniest thing, though, and I, I gotta shout this out. I forget who said it on the Athletic, um, but in the Athletic, there was a note that uh, the Dallas Mavericks um, leadership thought that they were actually a perfect fit culturally for Kyrie. <laughs> and I was like, that's, you know, I, I think you're, you're telling on yourself if you say you're a perfect cultural fit for Kyrie. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. I, I saw there was another one like that too. Like, oh, they're the, they're the place to be. And I said, it was, it was quite yesterday. I was talking to um my friend Carth and I was like, yeah, like I would have liked Kyrie to the Lakers. I said, although if he wasn't a good, like if he's a good fit for Dallas, Behind the scenes, he's not a great fit for – there's not a lot of teams I think he's a great fit for culturally if we're trying to go there. But, like, on the basketball court, I think that it's still – I mean, we still could be injury. could be – I mean, there's still some variability there for, to be sure. But, like you said, you do diversify your offense a little bit. It's definitely going to be your turn, my turn. If it is that, there's some great, I'm sure, Chicago actions and pin down, stuff like that. Kyrie's a great shooter, you know, coming off of down screen and stuff like that. Like, you can diversify it more. Um, Lucas seems to be a willing screener. I mean, he did that pretty well for Spencer Dinwiddie when they were kind of going back and forth. If it is just your turn, my turn, it's going to be some of the best version of that that we've seen in a minute. You know, I think Ty Lue said it best. Like, when he plays the Nets, he's like, I like to blitz Kyrie. When I play the Mavs, I like to blitz Luka, and I gotta, I can't blitz both. You know, so it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, I wonder, I, I put them in the Phoenix category, though. Like, defensively, you have Maxi Cleaver coming back from an extended injury, and you're saying, okay, congratulations, you're our best wing defender. Like, let's go to work. You know what I mean? You, you didn't get any upgrades other than this move at the deadline. Um, they were, like, Josh pointed out, 24th in, de in defensive rating before this deal. That's it's not going higher, folks. You know what I mean? Dwayne Finney-Smith is gone. Um, Christian Wood's going to play more. Uh, not really a rim defender at all. Uh, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock are wing-sized guys. You know, and, and, and Bullock looks busy and tries. Um, and that goes for something. But, like, if you're playing the Clippers, okay, like, it's going to be a shootout. Like, we saw it already. I mean, Luka didn't play, but in their most recent game, straight-up shootout because they weren't stopping the Clippers. 
And the Clippers were having a hard time stopping them. When all their threes are going down and Kyrie and Luka are going off, like, it's going to be some really good basketball. Alternatively, if the shots aren't going great, they're not stopping anybody, that's ultimately probably how they'll exit the 2023 playoffs. But um, any, like, kind of last, like, rapid-fire thoughts on Dallas? I mean, I don't want to say anyone's excited to watch them, but are you at least intrigued by a certain wrinkle or aspect in the Mavericks that you think they might employ? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's going to be fascinating is uh, similar to the situation with Phoenix and like who's their fifth starter. I'm curious like what the Mavs are going to do more like with the closing lineups. Are they going to go big with Wood and Kleba or are they going to sort of downsize and play just one of them with like a Josh Green? I'm I'm curious to see which direction they they sort of go there. Uh, but yeah, the, the West playoffs are going to be, I mean, assuming everyone, you know, crossing our fingers that, that everyone gets in there healthy, they're going to be, they're going to be so much fun and, and very high scoring because you've got a bunch of teams that are super dynamic offensively and have a lot of question marks on the defensive end. You said it. Josh, final thoughts on, on, on Dallas before we move on. God bless the poor people that have to deal with Kyrie. I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't touch Kyrie personally with Corbin's fantasy teams. Which are pretty rough right now. Garrett knows <laughs> very well right now. My fantasy team. I'm over here right now. We're just a little inside, Garrett. Um Garrett is at the top with my with our friend Aaron Washington um, for for like supremacy of our respect, our 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 league. I'm literally in the dregs. It's not my fault per se. I, I just entered in and inherited a team that was already low, but I am trying to get the Godfather offer for Brandon Ingram. So we're like negotiating in the chats because, and once I'm like, okay, I want two first round picks. And he's like, two. I was like, mm, it's Brandon Ingram. You understand. I value Ingram highly. Now I wish I gave it to all my defensive players and we can talk about that later, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you wouldn't touch with my fantasy team, that's saying a lot because my team is like lower than Dallas's defensive rating. So we're just gonna we're just gonna leave it there. But um, let's 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 move on to the next team here. I mean, wow, just so much going on. This is, I think, a relative quick one. We can kind of go into the next couple here. Actually, we kind of got the big ones out the way. But depending on how much depth we have, want to go into it. Uh, Toronto, which actually it might be interesting because I want to talk about like the move they did make and then the moves they didn't make. Uh, but let's talk about the one they did. Yakuparo returns. Another fun trade. Uh, we t- we're going to talk about another one later with Golden State, but Toronto basically said, okay, we're going to send off our our center prospect, like we send a uh, baseball guy down to the minor leagues, let him develop, you know, we're going to get back this player, we're going to win a championship, thank you, you can get DeMar DeRozan, you get three years of him, you get the pick that becomes Keldon Johnson, that's great, okay, Jacopo looks like a really good center, we'll take him back now, and that's exactly what Toronto seemed to have done, um, in exchange, San Antonio gets Ken Birch, uh, 2024 Raptors first round pick, which is protected one through six in both 2024, 2025, and 2026, as well as two seconds, uh, one in 2023 and one in 2025. So basically, Ken Birch and draft picks for Yaku Pertle. Garrett, initial thoughts on uh, whatever perspective you want to go on, because basically it's, it's the Raptors getting Pertle back, and then Josh will bounce it right to you. Yeah, so I guess my first question, I don't know if you guys saw this, and maybe this is something that is yet to come out, but so yeah, you mentioned that first round pick is protected top six in 24, 25, 26. What happens after that if it still hasn't conveyed? Do we know? We don't. I, 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 I haven't seen it. It's, it's, 
We don't Maybe know it as of yet. I'm sure that will. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll come out at some point. But uh, yeah, yeah uh -huh. the um, a lot of great with this trade deadline. A lot of great uh, jokes on Twitter where people can say like, "Oh yeah, first look at this player in their new jersey," and you know, Love pretending it. it's Photoshop. But <laughs> a lot um, of run out of that joke. Certainly been a lot. Yeah. Of run. <laughs> uh -oh. But uh, yeah, I. You know, I think a lot of people were just expecting Toronto to be sellers and given their their record this season are kind of down on this. I kind of like it for them. I think uh, Pirtle is a, is, a, is a really good quality starting center in the NBA. They've been sorely lacking at that position for the last year and a half. So bringing him in, I think Masai essentially is saying, you know what? Yeah, we've had a we've had a rough start this year, but. You know, Fred Van Fleet wasn't shooting well for the first half of the season. Scotty Barnes, you know, didn't take the expected leap, but, you know, he's still got a lot of potential. We've still got a lot of talent on this team. You know, if we bring in a quality starting center and see how the rest of this season plays out, maybe they'll make a run and 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 have like a push a team in the first round of the playoffs. And, and people are a lot higher on what this Raptors team can be moving forward. So I don't mind that they, they stood pat. But they, they do have a lot of questions come this offseason with, you know, Pirtle and Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Fleet potentially having to, you know, extend or sign new contracts with all of those guys. So um, a lot of question marks, but I don't mind the fact that Masai's like, we got a lot of talent here. It hasn't gone well, but I, I just want to see it for a little bit longer. Yeah. It's an interesting twist to Masai in general, because Masai is usually the guy who's quick to be like, yeah, we signed Nene to a six-year deal, but to Washington. Uh, yeah, you know, DeRozan and Lowry, maybe they'll make it this year. Quite. Um, uh, so it's it's interesting in that regard. Um, I do think they, they still have a lot they can do. Uh, this offseason at the draft and, and, you know, at the start of free agency, they can still work out, sign and trades. I'm not sure, financially speaking, it makes the most sense for them to bring back uh, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Wheat, and Jakob Pertl at the, the salaries they're going to demand. But uh, I think the most interesting thing here, and I'm a little surprised it is the way it is, the those protections on that first – in accordance with the the Stepien rule, really hinders the first first round picks that the the Raptors can potentially use in trades going forward. So, like that was one of the things that the Lakers did really well, obviously with with the 2007 first. Um, so, so it, it's interesting in that regard. I wasn't really expecting, you know, Masai and Bobby to kind of hinder themselves in that way. They must still think very highly of this core um, or they feel very comfortable that they can work out a sign and trade for any of those guys should they choose to take a, a higher salary somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an interesting uh, element to that trade. I think ultimately, you know, like you guys said, you know, you sigh, was like, hey, we got talent, you know, and also I think you know, rightly maybe Toronto thought this and questionably definitely Chicago thought this, that with <laughs> Durant no longer, you know, in the East with the Nets just totally dissolving, sort of. They're really not, but from championship contender to like tough out status, 
you know, with that, that, hey, we have a real run at this. Um, not sure what Chicago was smoking. I mean, thinking, not smoking. What were they thinking? Same thing for me uh, in making that decision collective. But Toronto at least has a case for it. And you're right. They're going to be a very expensive team. And it, this is what gets me kind of confused. It's like, hey, if, if it's not working, and health has been somewhat of a factor. It's been a lot for a lot of teams, right? But also, sometimes they just haven't had it, right? That's been parts of the season as well. And if that is the case and you are going to stick with this, and let's say by not moving those guys, you're not going to let them leave for nothing, presumably. So you're going to want to either retain them, whether sign and trade or just signing and accept, like setting them. You become a lot more expensive to be the same version of this team, which uh, are we are are they what we thought they were? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think they're a good, solid team, but they've been kind of eh. And so by getting Yacoperto back, yes, that's an upgrade on their center spot. He's been very good for San Antonio. Watch a lot of Yacoperto. Not exactly my type of player, but I will say this, and I don't mean this as a side of myself, he's a winning player. So, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> those things. A la I mean, Mike Conley. Hmm. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I'm not knocking myself saying I don't like winning players, but he happens to be a winning player that does things that maybe – I'm like, eh, but other people appreciate it and it's good to see. So that is a solid pick, solid move for them, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, and again, to, to your point about like saying, well, we're, we're just going to kind of just go forward with the same team. I would argue with Hurdle, they're not the same team, right? Uh, like uh-huh. going from having yeah. no quality center to a legitimate quality center is a, is a big upgrade. And then, yeah, there's still, I think a lot of this just, um, you know, relies on is Scotty Barnes going to be a guy? And if he makes a leap next season, that also can take you to another level. That's true. Real solid. Uh, do we have any thoughts real quick on San Antonio? Uh, good point, Garrett, on that as well, because that is true. I don't know why. Obviously, it's not 2K. Like, actual upgrade there raises collectively the team's talent. But um, San Antonio, I mean, picks and Ken Birch, who – at 30, I, I, don't, I mean, mind you, it's not like San Antonio really cares. Pop's going to play guys, you know, if they're there. But this was obviously just a, like, what was the thought process, I guess? Because I don't, like, I don't know if they, they could, I feel like they could have got more. Honestly, the center market wasn't super deep in the trade. So maybe not. Like, the trade market wasn't super deep. We look at other centers who got moved. It wasn't a whole lot. Uh, five seconds, like the going standard rate for a lot of things. So to get a first <laughs> as protected as it is, great. Do we think San Antonio was like, hey, we're just trying to, maybe sink lower on the the tankathon you know tank machine is that kind of the main motivation there yeah like like i think it it was probably that and some sort of calculus of you know here's what we project Jakob to you know kind of get in terms of an offer sheet uh in free agency given his age and the current status of our roster and everything do we really feel like that's a, a very sound strategy for us to to kind of pay that amount also knowing that Jakob might still prefer to go to like Toronto instead of staying uh in San Antonio in a place where he's probably not going to experience a whole lot of playoff uh games for several seasons um unless they get wind of Yama and, you know but um yeah I I, I you know getting a lightly protected first from a team that, you know, I agree with Garrett. I think they're going to be better now that they have Jakob Pertl, but it's also very possible Jakob Pertl, Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet are all free agents uh, this off season. 
next offseason after this upcoming one, uh, Pascal Siakam and OG Anunoby can be free agents. So, like, it's very possible that this becomes a valuable pick uh, for San Antonio down the line. Yeah, I think, like, I, I think the Spurs did well getting a first and two seconds. And, heck, this, uh, you know, I think a lot of teams – value the seconds by saying okay is it in the top half of the second is it between 31 and 45 and there's a chance this 23 uh raptor second is in that that top half of the second round so um to get uh you know more than first round pick value for Pirtle, i think is good and yeah similar to i think the spurs have a similar strategy to what danny age and utah are doing where um by offloading Pirtle, who is a good player they now increase their chances of, uh, of climbing uh, climbing the lottery and, and potentially getting Victor Wembanyama. Definitely, definitely. Wemby, Wemby, we'll talk about him very, very soon. Uh, not in this pod, but just in general. Yeah, I, I definitely am intrigued by him. Um, let's kind of move on then. Yeah, that's kind of a simple one here. Let's go to another one that uh, on his head seems simple. I don't really know. New York, Villanova reunion, so aptly named by Josh Earl here. Uh, the Knicks received Josh Earl. I mean, the Knicks don't receive Josh Earl. The Knicks receive Josh <laughs> hey, Earl. I'm getting paid, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what's funny? I'm reading the My sheet. My wife is going to and... be so excited. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you do a can you hit a corner three? Can you stick one consistently? Oh, no. I'm going to be a bench player for the Knicks, definitely. <laughs> but I will take that salary. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Josh Earl is not And that, that health insurance. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, instead, Josh Hart will be benefiting from that, but that's good to know. <laughs> but he will be going to the Knicks in exchange, Portland. Um, and we're going to just nail Portland here because, wow. Um, they received Cam Reddish, Ryan Archidiakono, um, Svee Mukailuk, and a 2023 Knicks first-round pick that is lottery-protected. Um, yeah. Let's, I mean, we'll kind of start with you, Josh, and, and then obviously Garrett. What do we feel about this? Because I feel both teams, like, I feel a whole lot of mad about this trip. I'm not going to lie. Like, the Knicks get an upgrade, of course. Josh Hart, it was funny. The Knicks had talked about him maybe a month ago, and they're like, when the Portland Trailblazers played the Knicks, and like, Josh Hart's the kind of guy every team would love to have, hustle player, not the greatest shooter, not the greatest dribbler, not the greatest defender, but does a little bit of everything and helps the team win. And now they have him. So I like that. I'm not really sure about the poo platter uh, that Portland got. No, all due respect to Sfi, X Laker, and Ryan Archie Nakano. But anyway, Josh, your thoughts. Just your yeah. Mind. Well, first off, I think they moved Sfi later in the day. Um, the yeah. lottery protected first gets them another probably still in the teens type pick. Um, so that that's not without value. Um, and we know that Joe Cronin is a guy who appreciates a high risk, high reward move and he might still perceive Cam Reddish as that type of player. Uh, also, Josh Hart has a player option uh, on his deal, and it's very likely that Josh Hart is going to opt out of that to try to secure a longer-term deal, which is going to cost more money than Portland can probably afford or want to pay this offseason. So it's their way of recouping some value for a guy who's probably leaving in the offseason anyway. Um, and I will say Josh Hart is – Almost definitely the best wing rebounder in all of basketball. Yeah, and he's definitely a uh, he's definitely a Tom Thibodeau guy. Like, oh he, yes, Tom Thibodeau is going to be playing him 42, 44 minutes, maybe forty six per game. He, he's uh, gunning for that Wilt Chamberlain forty eight point five minute per game record. 
Yeah, but uh, as far as Portland is concerned, it's I understand like from a Portland's fans perspective, it's confusing because this offseason felt like they were, you know, again, we're building around Lillard. We're going to win now. And then these feel like step, you know, we're taking steps back and they are. That's that's what this is. But I do think they got pretty good value for what they what they shipped out. Like, as Josh said, like, it's not only a first round pick from the Knicks, but it's likely if it conveys to be, you know, between like 16 and 22, something in that range, which, you know, is is much is has more value than the 28th pick. Uh, So so that's good. And then, yeah, getting five second round picks, you know, people, again, just teams just throwing second round picks like it's candy. But that's a lot for a role player in Gary Payton the second. So, just value wise, they did good. But uh, I understand, you know, a- again as a as a Portland Trailblazer fan, that you would probably be disappointed from this deadline. Definitely, I feel like it's I don't know. It's it's I struggle at the direction of Portland. I, I think, like you said, for the Knicks, it's going to be hilarious because you're right. Like he's gonna he's gonna be run to the ground. You know, and you saw the reaction from Jalen Brunson at his yep. high school, you know, graduation, like seeing that. That was just, awesome. That was really awesome. Genuine, exciting. The family was excited because he was, you know, they grew up, they, they all grew yeah. up together. It, it'd only be better. Like, I mean, it was funny. He reached out on Twitter. I was like, jo- um, Josh uh, Hart reached out on Twitter. was like, hey, so basically, you know, Mikhail, Jalen, when are we going to do dinner? Like, yep. that's kind of fun. And you said it like that. That's a feel good moment. But on the basketball side. Absolutely. You know, Josh Hart, great. And I, I think that he's going to bring some value to him. This is a great guy who's going to be just endure, just the New York faithful is going to love him um, and embrace him. Portland, what, what, I guess I've asked both of you, like, what are we doing though? Like, I, I say that because obviously immediately executives, rightfully so, saw this move and was like, okay, so Dame available? And Portland's like, no, no, Dame's not available. Why the hell not? Excuse that. I'm just very In curious life. as to how Dame is supposed to go to to battle with mm-hmm. as an Please. Oregonian most of my life uh Dame is not going anywhere unless Dame requests to go somewhere it it, it is what it is but like like everyone and I know Garrett's this way and most people are this way everybody is like it's championship or bust uh when you're a market like Portland um having that strong connection to the community and having, and and let's be honest, Dame is a hall of fame type player. He's probably the greatest player in in Portland trailblazer history, depending on how you feel about Clyde and Bill Walton. Um, And yeah, they're, they're not moving Dame unless Dame legitimately tells them like, get me out of here Uh, because he has deep ties to the, (laughs) No, Bonzi Wells is not on that list, Corbin. Uh, (laughs) Nor is Billy Ray Bates. Um, He has deep ties to the community. He's arguably one of the greatest, like, leaders of franchise players that that we've seen in the league in quite a long time. He means too much to the organization, too much to the community for them to trade him without him asking. So, like, Dame's not going anywhere – uh, and I don't think at this point Dame is necessarily going to really push it unless, you know, the Blazers really piss him off somehow, which I don't think they will. Um, so, yeah. So 
to build on what Portland did today. They they, they got Cam Reddish. They got the Knicks first, uh, Lotto protected. They picked up Matisse Thibel from Philly in a deal where Jalen McDaniels went uh, from Charlotte to Philly. They wound up sending Spee uh, and multiple seconds to Charlotte. Um, and then on top of it, they moved Gary Payton the second to Golden State again, which is its own thing we'll talk about in a second, uh, and, and got five seconds from Golden State to to basically give them Gary Payton the second back uh, and, and kind of replace him in the uh, rotation by Matisse Thibel. And they also got Kevin Knox. But uh, yeah, so they, they did a lot of activity for ultimately an extra first that, like Garrett said, is probably going to be somewhere between like at the highest 15 and, and probably 22 at the lowest, somewhere in that range taking a flyer on Cam Reddish and, and trying to add uh, Matisse Thibel as a cheaper alternative to Josh Hart in the offseason. Solid enough, I suppose. I mean, real, real quick, I'm, I'm sorry, Garrett, and then go to you, Josh. Are the Blazers making the play-in? I don't think so. Um, and, and again, I think like what, what I was getting at earlier where, you know, sort of the the strategy can seem confusing, but I think there's also an element of they've gotten to see the Blazers for 50 plus games, this, this front office. And they're like, okay, we're just not, we're not the team we maybe thought uh, we had built to start the season. So now we're going to shift and, and change our mindset. And last year we saw them tank towards the end of the year and end up getting the seventh pick. And you could see that uh, you could see that again here. Definitely. I definitely see that that vision, at least a realignment of so. If so, and I do wonder about the future of Jeremy Grant in that. If again, like you said, you look and you realize our three highest contracts are, you know, uh, Dame CJ Redux and Jeremy Grant. You know, like basically, <laughs> Josh, uh, Je- they'll bring Jeremy Grant back next in the lovely. offseason. Too. Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be it'll be Dame, Jeremy Grant, uh, Simons, Simons. Bible Nurkic, like they're not really changing so their core at all. They're just trying to see, you know, maybe they can see what they do at draft with their pick and with the Knicks pick. Maybe that combined with yet another team thinking Cam Reddish can actually hit. Um, maybe they're able to move up a few spots and pick a player who's maybe more impactful, or or maybe they'll be able to move those picks along with like an Anthony Simons to get, you know, somebody else who's maybe a little more impactful at at the moment. They're basically like keeping, kicking the can down the road a little bit more, um, which, you know, in their situation, what else can you really do right now? Again, you're not dumping Dame. You're, you're, you're not, you know, trying to totally crash this uh, into an iceberg. Uh, (laughs) You're going to do what you can. Um, and honestly, like, you know, uh, they picked up several seconds. They picked up a first. Uh, you know, you could argue how well you feel Gary Payton Jr. versus, you know, Matisse Thibel. Fairly similar players in terms of defensive impact. You know, offensively, Gary Payton's better, but not by that much. 
Um, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Garrett. Like, I would personally prefer Gary Payton Jr., but, like, you know, it's it's not a massive gulf. Um, and Thibel's going to be a lot cheaper. Um, so this is a way to kind of reduce the salary the next couple seasons while still adding some draft capital for a guy in Josh Hart, who was probably going to opt out and sign elsewhere anyway. Oh, definitely. I, I get you on that. And yeah, that's Portland fun. I, I think that, uh, D'Angelo Russell has a better chance of making an all-star game again than the Blazers do in figuring this out with Dame. But that's my bold prediction. <laughs> um, in I, the I, sense I, that, like, both aren't going to happen, I agree. D'Angelo's not even 27. Like, his prime years are still ahead. He was an all-star in 2019. <laughs> like, like... Cor- Corbin, I have to ask, what medication are you on? I'm on on nothing right now, but nothing I remember. No, I'm playing. You're you're on the uh, inefficient shooters high. Oh, you you already know. I've been, I've been done. (laughs) Corbin, you're aware De'Aaron Fox missed the the All Star game selection this year. (laughs) Listen, you're right. After, well, see, at least I have one representative of the Corbin All Star team. That's close enough in Anthony Edwards that at least I can put my hopes on him if the D'Lo train has passed by. I still believe D'Lo. Show me. Help me out. Okay. Next move. We're going to move on before delusion truly takes over. Um, <laughs> this quick one, you know, uh, Jay Crowd. I mean, there's two kind of quick ones we can kind of go into. A three te- it was in- incorporated more of a three-team deal. Jay Crowder um, goes to Milwaukee. Uh, Brooklyn Nets get two bucks second-round picks. Uh, Indian Pacers get Jordan Nawara, George Hill, Serge Ibaka in three bucks seconds. Um, Serge Ibaka has hence or since been waived. Uh, maybe George Hill will. Who knows? Uh, Jordan Nawara, you think, will be a part of that. But, I mean, initial thoughts, Milwaukee upgrades at the wing position. They get a guy who, you know, I don't want to say he's a, lo- a locker room culture guy given the events of the last, I don't know, half a season. But, yeah, after that, you know, picks for Brooklyn and the Pacers. Garrett, what is your take on this? I mean, the, the, the Bucks gave up a lot. Five seconds is, is quite a lot. But uh, at the same time, I think this is arguably the best upgrade that an Eastern Conference team made at the deadline. Um, they they got a guy that, you know, can fill that P.J. Tucker role from their championship team. It allows them to have some more versatility with their lineups to play Giannis some at the five where you play Crowder at the four or you can go big and play Crowder at the three. Um, he's, uh, you know, just a tough guy. He's shown that he contributes come postseason. You know, he's, he's obviously a streaky shooter and the Bucks half court offense in the playoffs have, has struggled at times. So that's not going away, but he also allows them to, you know, sort of, uh, grit and grind their way to, uh, to just being a, a really tough out. And, uh, again, I think they're right up there at the top of the East as far as contenders are concerned. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I like the Nora pickup for Indy, um, basically just help helping to facilitate using the cap space they still have. Um, George Hill is another guy. Welcome back. <laughs> um, I, I keep hearing the Mace "Welcome Back" song in my welcome head. Back, uh, looking... Welcome back. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, like, yeah, I, I think this is a solid trade for everybody involved. Uh, 
I, I also got to say that the Bucks act like uh, I, I feel like they name all their second round picks Dylon because like Dylon, 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 and Dylon. The Bucks are spitting hot fire, um, and uh, yeah, like Crowder is really going to help them, uh, and the Nets weren't going to keep Crowder, so you know, getting a couple of seconds and the Pacers getting Nawara in three seconds is like pretty good deal all around. Good little bit of business. Not a whole lot to say, like you said. Bucks upgrade, Pacers get some interesting, you know, pieces in Jordan Nawara and a nice little reunion and some picks, and then the. Nets get some picks for their trouble. Um, they just happen to be there. Um, let's go to one that was different for sure. Uh, the four teamer Pistons, James Wiseman, because sure, we love our second overall picks who are left handed who play the big spot. Um, let's do that. Forget Marvin Bagley, we have James Wiseman now. Um, Atlanta Hawks, Sadiq Bay, because yeah, sure. Um, wing guy, Golden State Warriors. Gary Payton II, we've told this to both Josh and Gary beforehand, but, you know, why not send out our guy to Portland for a while, let him pay him for a bit, let him rehab. Okay, you look good. All right, let's get him back. It's time for a playoff push. Like, there you go. And then for Portland, uh, used to love this guy, and I sadly disowned him years ago. Uh, but Kevin Knox, along with five, count him, not one, not two, yeah, five Golden State seconds. Five dollars. You know, 10 years ago with a foot long, $5 foot long, now it's $5 second round. You know, so that's what I'm thinking. Um, but moving on with that, listen, my brief analysis, because I really got a whole lot to add, Atlanta takes a swing on a, 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 on a swing man. Boom, there you go. Detroit, James Wiseman, apparently uh, from, I think it was a report from the Athletic, they wanted to start. They were really high. He was on their big board. That's called, from somebody who knows how to, to commit and stick to something right or wrong, my mom says it's wrong and strong, Congrats to Detroit because they win that. Golden State, Gary Payton, great. Like, keep that chemistry going. Maybe it's a little bit of a concession that your two timelines didn't work and you probably should have stuck with, you know, the guy who helped you the most, you know, in the postseason and most of the regular season, but okay. And then for Portland, we already talked about them. So just everything we said, add uh, Kevin Knox to the mix. Uh, Josh, get your thoughts, and Gary, let's get yours. Yeah, so... I, I, as I told you guys, I don't believe in like losers or, or winners necessarily. I just try to take everything as like, oh, this is interesting, or I like their reasoning, or maybe I disagree with their reasoning, but I, I can kind of understand the rationale. With Wiseman, that is straight up a talent play. That, that's straight up a like BPA type thing. The problem is you have Jalen Turin, you have Isaiah Stewart. You even have Marvin Bagley, uh, but I wouldn't count him. Uh, so you have Jalen Turn and, and Isaiah Stewart. You cannot, like, this is not how math works. You can't get each of those three players to 100% of their potential at the same time. It's not It's not possible. I, I think I mentioned uh, to you guys that, you know, like, Kyle Lowry and um, Mike Conley – they were together on the Grizzlies when they were starting out, and neither of them developed to who they were until they were broken apart. And we've seen that Stewart and Duran can play together, and they complement each other well. I'm not so sure what's the avenue to Wiseman getting the opportunity that he needs to reach 
more of his potential without hindering the further development of those two. Yeah, I'm I'm in complete agreement there. I just I do not get this for Detroit. Um, it's it'd be one thing if you know they did this in the off season and you hadn't seen Jalen Duren play basketball this year, but at 19 years of age, what he's shown, I would say that he's their future at center. So um, you're bringing in a guy that potentially, again, as Josh said, will take minutes away from him and ruin his development or you know limit his development. I just I don't get it. And also, you know, there's, it seems to be this, uh, as, as Corbin said, like this fascination with number two overall picks and lefty bigs and um, guys that have largely failed. In, and I mean, honestly, Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman, they both have, to the point prior to Detroit acquiring them, they made their teams worse when they were on the court. And Detroit, with both of them, have, uh, you know, see something that I just don't see from watching them play. I mean, they, they obviously have athleticism. They're, they're, there was a re, you know, they, they had potential. But at a certain point, you know, they're just not very good players. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it's interesting. I, I, Josh, I want to kind of get your insight. We're just going to bring this straight up into the, the general conversation here. Brief aside. Uh, I know we're going long here, but. Marvin Bagley, as a prospect, as a pick, I know you're not very fond of him. I I want you to kind of go no, into that. I, I, I've had this discussion several times with my good friend James Carity, uh, of Basketball Scout Guide. Um, we think Marvin Bagley is the worst pick in, in NBA history. And, and it's not because Bagley is a bad player, per se. It's just in terms of the context, it's the absolute worst pick in NBA history. Um you you had Luca on the board. You had Jaron Jackson Jr. on the board. You had oh, Trey on the board, and you took a guy that, for some reason, you thought would be the second coming of KD, even though he did not show those skill sets. Um, it, it was just an all-time misapplication of an asset, and yeah, for I mean, that reason, this. he's the worst pick. Like, like other guys have you know, had Anthony Bennett, for instance, ha has had a worse career, but given the context, and I've also had this conversation with my friend, most, I don't believe in can't miss prospects. I'm salivating over Victor, but I, I, I'm still worried that injuries can happen or things can happen that we can't expect. Uh, black Swan events occur. Uh, so I don't really buy into can't miss prospects. And my friends and I have talked about all the can't miss prospects like Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, um, Ben Simmons, like a lot of people consider those guys can't miss generational prospects. And in a lot of ways, in all those cases, you could argue that they have not hit what everyone expected. Um, the only guy we could figure out who has done that uh, in the past like decade plus is Luca and the the Kings decided to take not even the best big who was still on the board in Jaron Jackson Jr., but they decided to take Bagley over Luca because they didn't think Luca could work with De'Aaron Fox. 
Yeah, I, I, I um, uh, when uh, when Josh mentioned uh, for anyone listening, when Josh mentioned that uh, <laughs> Marvin Bagley was the worst pick in NBA history, I've never seen someone's eyes get wider than Corbin's did. <laughs> <laughs> but, I didn't say it was D'Lo who was the worst. <laughs> okay, I would have. I would. I would have had a strong. Corbin would have just ended the call right then and there. Yep. It's been a great trade deadline show. We got through most of them, y'all. <laughs> yeah. But again, what were you saying? What are your thoughts? <laughs> but I'm I'm largely in agreement with that. I mean, the 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 biggest issue I had with Bagley, even at the time, was just the even the theory of him as a player. You know, the I know the the whole idea of like being a tweener isn't really that relevant anymore in the NBA because a lot of times you'll say, well, if you're um, you know, if you're a tweener between the four and five, you're just a power forward that can play small ball five, right? But Bagley, the theory and the and the the tweener element of him was that he was never going to be good on, you know, at either position. At the four, he couldn't shoot well enough. And, uh, you know, that that's something that in today's NBA you need. And then at the five, he's too skinny. And, you know, he... Um, you know, yeah, he can he can rebound and that all that sort of thing, but he can't really defend the like the Jokic's or the Embiid's of the world, and he's just not a very good defender in general. So, yeah, the the theory was bad with him when he was drafted, and after three plus years of evidence of that theory proving correct, Detroit still thought it was a good idea to give him what a three year, thirty seven million dollar contract. It's just it's wild. And then, yeah, this Wiseman thing just to me is compounding that and, and showing that, yeah, they just don't, they don't really get it. And they also don't understand that when you have Cade Cunningham, and even when you have someone like Boyan Bogdanovich, it'd probably be better if you ha- actually had minutes at the four spot for your wings as well. And they just don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Wow. Uh, listen, we're going to have to have a draft discussion with us three here because uh, that's, we, we already talked about this before in the chats, but there's a lot. There's a whole other rabbit hole I'm thinking about, but we've already gone far. So we're going we're gonna to put a pin in that one. I'm going to remember that, um, especially with the NBA historians we have here. But anyways, moving right along, because I definitely agree with some of what I said about Bagley. I don't know why I'm defending Bagley's honor, but here I am. <laughs> it's a torch I've decided to carry. Um, let's go to what Josh Earls aptly called the three wing swing. Um, Memphis, the Clippers, and I'm trying to think of the other team involved. Well, no, it was just three wings. It wasn't two teams. It was two teams, right? No, no Memphis, uh, the Clippers, and Houston. Duh. Yes, yes, yeah. I don't thought about them, but yeah. So Memphis got Luke Kennard. The Clippers ended up getting Air Gordon in three seconds. Uh, we'll figure out where they came from, but they're three seconds. We just said five seconds, three seconds. We really care right now. Point is, they got three of them. Uh, while Houston went and uh, you know, they love John Wall so much. They want to uh, try that experience again, um, which, of course, I'm kidding. They waived Wall uh, or, or immediately or have plans to. Uh, they have Danny Green as well as the 2023 Clippers first pick swap, which isn't the Houston one. So, yeah, I think it's for the Bucks or the Sixers first uh, is the like swap right the swap for it. okay so i mean i want to get i mean this is interesting two contending teams are in the mix end up adding a player to kind of 
upgrade or bolster their wing core. Uh, Luke Memphis got one 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 great shooter in Luke Kennard. Uh, only unfortunately a one position defender and not a great defender at that. So congrats joining the club. Doesn't create his own offense consistently either. So again, I don't know how that fits fixes the half court offensive issues the Grizzlies have. But at the end of the day, he's a lights out shooter. And I thought the Grizzlies were always rather light on shooting. So I do like that uh, for the Clippers. Air Gordon. I mean, he's not the Air Gordon he was. You know, but it's been a couple of years. Houston's not been kind, um, but it is a homecoming, right? You play with them. Uh, if you fire up NBA 2K10 through 2K12, uh, you'll have fun with Air Gordon on there. So enjoy that. Um, but no, stocky guy uh, can kind of defend a little bit. Uh, definitely can bring some offensive juice. I think it'll be a little more juice up the play for a contending team with the Clippers. We saw his mood when he was in Houston. It wasn't great. The vibes were not immense. And for Houston, I think it's really the picks. I mean, Wall's already gone. Danny Green's not likely to stay. Uh, just getting a pick for Eric Gordon, and technically it's a first-rounder, which is exactly what the, the Rockets wanted for Eric Gordon to begin with. So it works for them. Um, but that's my thoughts on it. I don't think it really moves the needle for any team one way or the other. But, Garrett, let's get yours and kind of get it to Josh as well. Uh, what can I think about the two respective teams that upgraded uh, with their wings? Yeah, I mean, Kennard is a is a solid player for, for the Grizz. He, yeah, he can shoot the lights out. And, you know, even provides a little bit of uh, on-ball creation. He can run a pick and roll, even though he hasn't done that a ton in his time with the Clippers. Um, So that's solid, but it also doesn't really fill the need, the biggest need that Memphis had coming into the deadline. Like, you know, they were they were rumored to be interested in like an OG Ananobi, a guy that uh, can can play that three, four spot and handle some of those elite wings that you have to face to get through the Western conference. So that's still a hole for this team. Uh, But yeah, I think they got marginally better with that move. Even though I think Danny green was, is a guy that that could have helped them as well. Uh, As far as uh, the Clippers, I was almost interested in, in talking about them from a, from perspective of everything they shipped in and out. Like they, they ended up ultimately sending out, yeah, they ultimately ended up sending out John Wall, Luke Kennard, and Reggie Jackson and got back Eric Gordon, Bones Highland, and Mason Plumley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think that swap makes them significantly better. I do think it's a marginal improvement. I think it gives them a little bit more versatility. They can they can play big. You know, if they end up facing the Nuggets, I think having a second legitimate center against Jokic has value. Uh, And then also, I think Eric Gordon is a guy that could actually close at times for them, especially if he's got it going offensively, whereas, you know, none of the guys they sent out, I really felt like could. Josh, your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree. I I think the Clippers also did well. Um, I I liked Mason Plumlee coming back to back up uh, Zubac. Uh, I think that's a nice pickup for – uh, just Reggie Jackson in a 2028 second. Um, I like Eric Gordon. I'm mostly just happy that Eric Gordon is no longer <laughs> stuck in in that purgatory of basketball that was uh, Houston. Um, I think it was a very solid uh, trade deadline by the Clippers. I think Luke Kennard offers a semblance of what Desmond Bain provides. Uh, and therefore, you kind of have closer to 48 minutes of that kind of shooting threat. 
um, and somebody who should work, play really well off of the Steven Adams like Bain does. So like I, I, I like it for Memphis. Uh, I, I think Garrett mentioned this in our chat beforehand. Like it doesn't address what Memphis's main problem is, um, but it's still a, a positive move for them. And it's not like they gave up that much. So it works out. Yeah, I think uh, ultimately uh, the Clippers, you know, it's kind of moving around some deck chairs, but in an intriguing way, right? I do like Bones Highland. I mean, he's one of those guys who's either going to win you a playoff game or sit next to Ty Lue all game. We'll find out very soon. I mean, he'll lose you some, too. Oh, there you go with that, too. Which, speaking bad about a Denver Nugget, shame on you, Josh. He's not a Denver Nugget anymore. Wow. Okay, see, so he's not your And no, guy. like, I don't dislike Bones. I'm just saying, like, I, I, no, get why, I get why Denver did it because Bones' defense and his decision-making is the type of defense and decision-making that's going to lose games in the playoffs. Even when you count the highs that he might reach offensively and, you know, he might have a game where he wins you a, a playoff game because he hits, you know, X number of threes and that sort of thing. But he's also going to hurt you. Uh, and, and when you're what where the Nuggets are trying to get, I, I don't dislike it. Although I, I thought they they undersold on him. Like they got two Clippers seconds, which are probably not going to be that great. And I, I feel like there was probably a better market for Bones out there. But given what they got for him, perhaps I was incorrect. Well, yeah, I, uh, Corbin, is it cool if we move to Denver now and what they did here? Uh, uh, absolutely. I think it's a good <laughs> transition here. So, um yeah, I mean, I even wonder, based on what they got for Bones, and it was just seconds, like they didn't even get a player in return, mm. that it's not even as much that front office or that coaching staff thinking, oh, he's a liability defensively, he's inconsistent offensively. I think it's more like we just want to get this guy out of our locker room is what it sounds like to me. For for that li- a small of a package of just two seconds, from the Clippers, like, yeah, that that's what it spells to me. So um, that that is interesting in its own right. Um, and then also, you know, the Nuggets made the move for Thomas Bryant with the with the Lakers and ended up sending three seconds to get him. I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on that. He's better than DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you Admittedly, go. that's not like a high bar to clear, but. <laughs> But it's a low enough bar that you're not likely to limbo under it. So, um, (laughs) you know, all you really need is, you know, eight-ish minutes uh, at most uh, of, like, non-horrendous center minutes while while Jokic is resting. um, And Thomas Bryant can do that. So, not a bad pickup, uh, although... The Nuggets, I, I think that their bigger problem, other than a backup for Jokic, can, especially considering everyone likes to talk about Jokic's conditioning, but he's actually played a massive amount of minutes in the playoffs most of his playoff career so far. So, like, it's Jokic is going to play the bulk of these minutes anyway. Uh, I do think that in some ways, not that he was a major impactful player, but, like, in trading uh, Reed – they thinned out their perimeter defensive group. And, and I think that was what I was most looking forward to them addressing. I was hoping they might get a Thibel or a Gary Payton II or even an Alex Caruso. They had a TPE that could fit 
a guy like that. They could have sent out draft compensation if somebody liked Bones enough. That was, that was maybe a possibility. And it didn't come to fruition. And again, we've mentioned there aren't any guys like that on the buyout market. So now Denver's really, really kind of betting on the health of KCP, Bruce Brown, and Aaron Gordon going into the playoffs, which I'm hoping is a sound bet. But with health, it's it's never a sure thing. Yeah, I agree. I think Denver's, I mean, you look at them and they're number one in the West. It's just different given how many moves were made, size of moves from other teams, whether it's something as simple as Lakers becoming competent to, you know, looking at the Suns becoming like a massive threat, even more so than they already were. And so you do wonder, okay, like if this is all the Nuggets are doing, eh, you know, I really hope they were going to go after Mason Plumlee. I thought he'd be another guy who could replicate very much of what, you know, um, um, of course, you know, um, now, why do I want to say, okay, it's Nicole Jokic, but I want to say so much Yusuf Nurkic. Anyways, <laughs> why I'm not sure. Obviously, ex Denver Nugget as well, but some point. But he can replicate some of that. You know, he already played there, had some experience in the system, you know, was available, obviously, for not a whole lot. Um, Josh, you mentioned a hard ascent as well. Same thing, a center who fits the general scheme. You can use some of the same concepts as far as an offensive hub, center passing, and freeing, you know, cutters and shooters. You know, that could have been something both have like above average passing for their position. Now, obviously, Jokic is just a god there, but Hardenstein's okay, and I put Plumley above him. Like they're both in that in that realm. But so to go for uh Brian, who necessarily not as an exact not he's not necessarily a black hole, but he's definitely not what you consider a passer, he's more of a kickout kind of guy. Um, and also Hardenstein offers some rim protection that Thomas Bryant just does not. Um, and Plumlee, I mean, Plumlee is okay. I mean, he's someone defensively who will definitely be in that same range. Both are demonstrably better than Bryant is at that position. So um, definitely some thoughts there. But, but Gary, let's get your thoughts some more on the, what we're doing here. Yeah, I mean, I I love all your points there, Corbin. And the, the thing for me is, like, it looked like the Clippers just paid one second for Plumlee and the Nuggets paid three for Bryant, and I think Plumlee's better. Yeah. Uh, so that's, a, there, baby. that's that's uh that's disappointing. And yeah, like either Plumley or Hartenstein would be would be an absolutely great fit there, as you said, because they're a two way players. They contribute on both ends. And then yes, you can you can replicate the same offensive system whether Jokic is on or off the court. And uh, yeah, so Bryant, he's. He's a very talented offensive player. His true shooting percentage is like, I think first in the league, he's at over 71%. So the, the Nuggets combined with their center position, their efficiency is just off the charts. But uh, yeah, he, you know, he he is a very poor defensive center. And so that's a, that's a challenge. And so, yes, they upgraded because DeAndre Jordan does not deserve to play at all. Uh, but it's not as big of an upgrade as you would hope for, especially given what they ended up paying. I, I will say this, the money that is behind the Denver Nuggets ultimately flows from the Walton family, and they do often run not dissimilar to a Walmart, and Thomas Bryant makes a lot less than Isaiah Hartenstein and Mason Plumley. So 
while I think we all agree that Hartenstein and Mason Plumley would be better fits, especially for what Denver's trying to do, and they would have been able to acquire them without sending out players because they had that TPE, uh, good luck <laughs> getting the ownership to foot that additional tax bill. Just so. pay it one year. Just one I year. agree. I agree. You're preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> it's that so hard. No, th- th- I definitely agree with you there. Save money, live better, want Denver Nuggets. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun seeing that when they go out in the playoffs and collectively go, what are we doing wrong? You know, I, First I off, Corbin, who's to say they go out in the playoffs? Again, I, I, I have yeah, to push back Lakers, against everybody they saying the Lakers, there is no front runner in the, the Lakers. West. If they play the Lakers, the Lakers are getting their butts spanked by Jokic, and Corbin's going to be crying on our proverbial shoulders (laughs) (laughs) while while I hand him a a towel to dry his tears that has Jokic smiling on it. Um, (laughs) They have to push back against everyone, everyone saying like, oh, there are no front runners in the West. Oh, you know, the Suns are clearly the the West uh, representative now. No. The Nuggets have a three-time MVP. I'm call. I'm calling. I think he's gonna win it again, and he should. Um, they have a three-time MVP. They have the best record in the West. They're close to the best record in the entire league. Murray's getting healthy. MPJ's getting healthy. They have better defense this time around. They have a little more quality depth. Uh, they have a distinct shot at this. Now, will it happen? I can't predict that. But I, 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 I'm pushing back against this narrative that like there is no front runner in the West, or the Suns are the front runner in the West now, even though they have four good players. Like none of their players, even Kevin Durant, and I apologize to anybody who's going to be mad at me about this. None of their players are on the level of Jokic. Well, only one team has the all-time leading score. So, anyways. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew you would do it. <laughs> I had to. All right, here, let's – we're almost done here, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy. Um, There's, like, one more deal I wanted to talk and about. And I was going to say – kind of – the no, it, yeah, man, but we would do some. We're gonna do some I wanted to talk about. And let's get right to it. We're gonna do some rapid fire for the last of little deals here. We've already gone almost two hours for yeah. reference. Well, no, we're not gonna do reference. I'll, I'll tell you later after the show. <laughs> um, but no, let's do the deal you want to talk about, Josh, and then we'll kind of throw it around to see any other deals that we think are notable, uh, and just run through the rest just for posterity's sake. Yeah. But yeah. So the deal I want to talk about isn't on the same level as Mike Conley going to Minnesota, but I also thought it was one of the smartest deals that happened, which was Boston Celtics picking up Mike Muscala from OKC for just Justin Jackson in two seconds. Uh, Like, yes, Mike Muscala at best is their third bit, like their fourth big. Um, But Mike Muscala is a massive upgrade over Luke Cornett. Um, Mike Muscala is going to space the floor for them. Uh, and, and the cost was very, very low. Mike Muscala actually is fourth all time in OKC history in terms of three point percentage. Like this is a guy who's going to fit in very well on Boston and they got him for somebody who doesn't even play in two seconds and they're Celtic seconds. So they're going to be, you know, 55 to 60, um, I, I just thought that was a really smart play by uh, Brad Stevens. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I've got another move just based on uh, an, another Eastern Conference contender. The Sixers getting Jalen McDaniels, I think, is is another move that, uh, you know, you talk about just at bolstering depth and also just getting compared to Thibel, getting a guy that can actually contribute on both ends. He's not a complete offensive liability like Thibel is. Uh, another solid, solid upgrade by Daryl Morey there in Philadelphia. Those are two, like you said, kind of moves on the margins that are kind of probably going to be more impactful for both. I mean, how do you kind of upgrade a little bit for Philadelphia while also kind of saving money and getting a player who, you know, wing, again, wingspan, crazy. I liked him in Charlotte. Um, it worked out well. I'm sorry. I, I was distracted because I was in the chat raging about being mad about Mike Muscala. Um, no. So we actually traded Vichy Zubac for him. Yes, that's who it is. Uh, the Lakers did. Uh 2019 and we were all like oh we're getting a shooter and then he forgot to shoot uh and he started the what i call the laker curse of bringing on (laughs) who in theory are shooters and then the numbers drop across the board i think alex regler did like a great piece on this um the only two lake the only two players who were brought in over the last four years and we're going from like we had danny green we had um, Wes Matthews. I'm gonna let you go, Josh. We had all these other guys, and they come to LA, and their numbers just drop. Do anyone want to guess the two but, players numbers stayed around the same? I know. Lincoln no, go ahead. go ahead. Okay, Carmelo, Anthony, and Malik Monk. Okay, fair enough. Um, so remember how I adamantly declared that the Lakers still aren't a contender? Well, yeah, exactly. if Malik Beasley and De- your guy. D'Angelo Russell suffers from this curse. No, 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 no. I see what you, I, once you said, Malik Beasley, I was like, oh, that's what you're going to get. Uh, like, I, I don't believe in curses, and that's saying something. I, I, I Again, I'm from Oregon. I watched you growing fan? up. Yes, I'm so a Red Auerbach fan. He, he, those weren't curses. Think those were very Jerry clever. Yeah, those were very, no, no, no. Oh, those yeah. were very <laughs> clever things that Red did to make sure that the opposing locker room is a piece of shit. <laughs> and that, like, there there were dead spots in the parquet floor. There, those were clever things Red did. It was not a leprechaun. It was the, the leprechaun in Red Auerbach's heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, oh, but no, like, I, I grew up in Oregon. I, I followed the Blazers most of my life. I should be very, uh, you know, pro uh, curses, uh, especially when it comes to big men and, and lower limb injuries. Uh, and I admit I still don't like when a big guy has a lower limb injury. It creates some PTSD for me. But... Um, no, I, I don't. I don't believe in curses. But just to see Corbin's face when I mentioned that if said curse was real, the the very players he was so proud that the Lakers got might fall prey to that curse. I just had to see Corbin's face, and, and it was you. You all can't see it, uh, and I, I don't think you can hear it. But it was it was perfect. <laughs> uh, Garrett, back me up. It was perfect, right? It, it was. And just one more <laughs> comment on the uh, the comparing the two. Mike Muscala trades. I think it's important to uh, have the distinction that the reason this trade is good for Boston now is because, as Josh mentioned, they traded nobody of importance on their roster, whereas the Lakers decided to trade a you know ten to fifteen year starting center for him. 
Uh, you know what? Listen, this Lakers slander, I thought bringing you two together would be great, and it has been. But also, there's been some moments now where I've really had my gears grinded, okay? That's all I'm going to say. But, yes, you're right. Thank you for pointing out. Every time I have a Lakers-Clippers matchup and I just see how steady Zubox has been playing, I'm like, wow, for nothing. For nothing. He, I was so mad about it, I collectively forgot and wrote in the chat that we traded Thomas Bryant for him. We did not. We waved Thomas Bryant. It's not even the point. Josh? <laughs> I will say we have to give the, the Lakers scouting staff a lot of credit. None of these players are still on their team, but <laughs> Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Ivica Zubac, uh, Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson, Josh Hart, they've all become very good NBA players. So kudos, Lakers staff. Boo, Lakers front office, who have gotten rid of all those players. Um, but like, you, you got to give them props that they they had a, a, a very good stretch of scouting. Yeah, they did. I mean, I will the the scouting, and uh, again, that's another conversation I want to have, and like exploring the front office and looking at different departments, and obviously who makes the moves and who does the scouting, and there'll be a whole. I have so many plans. It's gonna be fun, but for the sake of time, here we are easily going to clear two hours um let's just kind of run through rapid fire i'm actually going to throw this to, to josh or garrett here because i don't remember at this point the ones that we didn't talk about we had a bunch of salary dump kind of trades and trades yeah. that were just really really marginal so let's kind of run through those and if anyone has any like thoughts on them please i mean i'll let josh read them if, Garrett, if you have any thoughts like please jump in i don't that's why i'm passing it on <laughs> <laughs> so uh the san antonio spurs sent josh richardson to the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, and they took on Devontae Graham's pretty odorous contract in return for four seconds. So not quite Crowder or Gary Payton levels, but still four seconds, uh, 2024, 26, 28, and 29 Pelican seconds, again, as, as kind of a way to take on that, that salary that the, the Pelicans really wanted to get out from under three years left on that i believe yep. right yeah so and it's, a, it's around 12 mil per i think something like that but still that's i mean normally i would say you know a few years ago i think that would require a first so to, to offload that for four seconds i think is you know is is decent business from new orleans although it's uh it's their fault that they got in this position in the first place and, and josh richardson's not bad like josh richardson is is good depth for them even if he's probably like pretty far down the depth chart just because of how deep that team already is and then uh let's see another one uh the atlanta hawks acquired garrison matthews and bruno fernando from houston for justin holiday and frank kaminsky Tax, no tax avoidance thing for, <laughs> yeah. for Atlanta, I believe. Yes, yes. Uh, and then we have uh, another Spurs one. Uh, they took on Dwayne Dedman and a 2028 Miami second for quote unquote cash considerations. This helps Miami just barely get under the tax, um, which, you know, we, we hear a lot and we talk a lot about, oh, ducking the tax. Uh, teams like to do that. Um, the tax team, the, the teams that aren't in the luxury tax are expecting like a $16 million payout this offseason. So to be even a dollar into the tax means you're missing out on $16 million. So it might not impact the fans that much or the team that much, but you best believe the owners really love it 
when you can get them that $16 million payout. Yeah, and I got to give a shout out to Fred Katz because the Spurs now are, are waving Deadman, and Fred Katz tweeted, Deadman walking. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yes. And then uh, I think the, the final deal that we haven't touched on, uh, the Sacramento Kings got Kessler Edwards in cash considerations from the Brooklyn Nets for the draft rights to David Michonier, who I'm not particularly familiar with. Um, which seems like just a way for the Nets to kind of move off Kessler Edwards' contract. I had one. I had one trade that didn't happen, but there was there yes, was apparently yeah. some negotiations that took place that I was uh, wanting to to discuss, and that was with the Knicks and the Bulls. Uh, I mentioned this in our group chat, but uh, Jake Weinbach reported that there was a framework of a deal where the Knicks would send Evan Fournier, Derek Rose. Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, three first-round picks for Zach Levine and Goran Dragic. And uh, I don't know if this was a matter of, you know, there's been talk in the past that the Knicks were hesitant to include Grimes in deals. Uh, You know, I I wonder if it was the Knicks didn't fully offer that entire package or if it was the Bulls passing on that package. But if Chicago did pass on that, I think that was probably a mistake. Perhaps this is New York pulling a Danny Ainge. Perhaps this is New York leaking like, hey, look how good I did at my job. They said no. I did like Corbin mentioned Danny Ainge is obnoxious and and it it struck a chord with me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Danny Ainge is obnoxious because Danny Ainge will actually publicly state uh, how great his offers were that other teams just you know, they, they declined, even though most of the time those offers aren't nearly as good as people think. Like, oh, I offered five firsts for uh, moving up to get Justice Winslow. Never mind that all those firsts would be like late, like 20s. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. um, yeah, yeah. So this very well could be a situation like that where New York is putting out like, hey, you know, we, we really didn't do a whole lot right now. We got Josh Hart, but we didn't make bigger deals because they didn't say yes. Yeah, and the, sort of the uh, trying to save their reputation after losing out on Donovan Mitchell. Look, we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Y'all are funny. <laughs> I mean, okay, so we've we've had a show and a half. This has been a blast. Before we, like, officially sign off, I want to give each one of y'all, you know, a couple minutes – what was some general themes or a general theme that you picked out from this trade deadline? A flurry of moves. Did you see something that you thought could be a trend moving forward? Did you see something you were like, hmm, that's interesting? Just what were your thoughts? Oh, I got, I'll, I'll go first real quick I, just because it's really simple and that's me, transparent. Like people coming home again, whether it's D-Lo, you know, whether, you know, we're having, we're having, um, uh, who else? Well, now I can't remember everyone else is going back home. Oh, Eric, gosh, Gordon, oh, Eric Gordon, uh, thank John you. Wall. Thank you. Um, let's see. I, I think there were a few, <laughs> a few others. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, there's like five or six guys who are going back to their old stomping grounds or spots where they had, you know, a moment in the sun, something considerable will happen. I think that's fun. I'm all for homecomings. Gary Payton, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very, it has some shades of uh, Zadrunas Ogowskis back in the yeah. day. Remember the whole yes, Cleveland to Washington yeah. back to Cleveland? Like some of that stuff. 
even Jay Crowder technically, while not while he hasn't played for the Bucks before, Jay Crowder did play in Marquette. So also kind of a welcome home thing. Yeah. So like George Hill back to Indiana. Like did that there have been several uh like come on home type things. And, and who knows? In the buyout market, Kevin Love might finally go to Portland. I don't think it'll happen, but it could. And you got you gotta love a good welcome home story. You do. Yeah, the um, I think this was Zach Lowe mentioned this on NBA Today, but given the given the the playing structure now, you've got more teams that feel like they should go for it because they're within within a few games of of having a shot at making the playoffs. So you have more buyers, you have less sellers, and therefore the asking prices just only increase at that point, right? And so we, you know, I feel like trades that would have taken one or two seconds are now taking four or five. Um, just because there's there's more demand out there. Um, the the one the one team we didn't really get into because they stood pat that I would I just wanted to briefly mention was the Cavs. Um, you know there's there was a lot of talk about them. You know trying to upgrade the wing position. I think it's fine that they stayed pat. You know I don't really feel like this is their year anyway. You know I I genuinely believe in the idea that you need to take your lumps in the postseason first and they're, you know, they're good enough this year that they're going to, to, to make the postseason. And Isaac Okoro has, has been playing better as of late. So maybe they feel like we've got our guy in house that we don't need to, you know, throw out more assets after we, we spent so much on Donovan Mitchell. Also that like, what do they really have realistically to move? They're not including Jarrett. They're not including Evan. They're not including Darius. They're not including Donovan. Like, Levert. Levert. Yeah, yeah like guy. Levert and, you know, the Dylon of seconds probably isn't getting you a massive upgrade over Levert. So, like, they're – they were one of two teams that actually didn't make any moves uh, this trade period. The other war was Chicago. Uh, and Chicago is a more interesting one because Vucevic is going to be a free agent. Um, DeRozan is, is getting older. Uh, Zach has apparently been butting heads with Billy Donovan. And uh, apparently the locker room is kind of more on Donovan's side than Zach's. Um, the, there was a lot that the Bulls could have potentially gotten at least something in uh, in return for a guy like Vooch for, um, I mean, they could have gotten at least a couple seconds, um, uh, you know, could have gotten stuff for Levine or even DeRozan. They could have, you know, just like, let's, let's kick this off, uh, you know, see what we can get for Caruso, who would have gotten at least a first back, at least. And they probably could have – Caruso's arguably another guy. I don't really consider him a wing, but another guy Brooklyn could have tried to acquire. <laughs> um, and, and Chicago didn't really do anything. Uh, I, I think another element to what Garrett was saying earlier about, like, why we're seeing more seconds is a lot of these teams also no longer have firsts to trade. And so when you don't have a first, you're like, hey, you know, I, I can't really cook you a meal with a nice entree, but how about I give you a lot of tapas? <laughs> oh, my gosh. All the apps, all the apps, tapas, all the apps. No, I like that. I think it was definitely interesting to see, like you said, 
the value of picks that we saw, um, the value of centers, you know, rotation wings, like the market going from as crazy as it was with the Rudy Gobert trade, Rudy Gobert going for the same package that Kevin Durant did, you know, which is hilarious. Another reason why I think that Gobert trade was trash. But <laughs> anyways, like, like all of that was interesting, right? And then seeing the market kind of come down when we saw Rui Hachimura and also seeing players go for the, I call it the 2K trade, you know, or, or when you trade all these picks just for a player. And after mm-hmm. a certain amount of time, you throw so many picks in the AI, it's like, oh, we're overwhelmed. Even though it's not that much, it feels like it's that much mm-hmm. uh, without losing anybody in your salary, just taking them into your space. So all of that was very interesting. I think this was in a very active trade line. Um, we didn't see it coming for a moment. It felt really slow. And then it really picked up the last two hours. And, this has been a really fun show. It didn't take a long time to pick up, and we've gone two hours. So here we are. But um, listen, I think this is a good place to put to pause. Uh, we're definitely going to bring on the two of you on again. I think the, the the dream team. This worked out well. Like this was a ton of fun. We're the unholy big three. <laughs> the unholy big three. Instead of the unholy trinity, we're the unholy, unholy big, three. big three. I like. So I so like which it. one of us is Kyrie? Which one of us is Katie? Which one's Harden? <laughs> I will sacrifice, and <laughs> y'all are too easy. Okay. Y'all are too level-headed. To My question is, which Kyrie player right? of the three is the actual sacrifice? Oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'll tell you one thing: I'm not demanding a trade on this show. Listen, <laughs> no, absolutely. But brothers, this has been fun. Listen, um, share where folks can find you in your work. Josh Garrett, both of y'all. Uh, let's get this out. This is, gonna, this is gonna be a fun one to get out here. Go ahead, Garrett. Okay, well, yeah, uh, Corbin, you mentioned the beginning. My, You can find me on Twitter at uh, Garrett Bouguet, and uh, I just released uh, – we're recording this on Thursday night. I just released uh, an, an episode of Duncan Dynasty, the first episode in like six months, yes. uh, covering covering uh, the, the year of 2022 in video games with a couple of buddies of mine, so check that out. I've also recently done uh, a couple of um, – posts on my blog, which I, I've posted on my Twitter as well, covering TV and music. And then later this month, I'll be covering uh, I'll be covering a film. But then also, I'm going to be getting you guys both on Duncan Dynasty here soon to do a basketball pod because that's what it is. So excited for all of that. Yeah, definitely check out his articles too. Like, like uh, I haven't gotten to watch enough TV but like reading through his, his list, uh, I now have ones I have to add to my queue. And like, I got to watch this. I got to watch this. And beyond that, Garrett sent me a couple other ones like, oh, you got to watch this one too. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that movie one. He and I have been geeking out over movies in our group chat. Um, so definitely give Garrett a follow it and read those articles because they're awesome. Uh, and give Corbin a follow if you haven't already. Uh, you're listening to this, so you should oh, be following Corbin already. But Corbin's amazing. He 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 loves his Lakers very hard. He loves his Monte Ellis types even harder. But the, there's there's a a rich trueness of that love that you have to respect. Um, and, and he's just a fantastic guy as well. Uh, same with Garrett. Um, you can find me at two red J Earl on Twitter. Um, I, I, again, I'm more of a quality or quantity guy. Today was probably the most tweets I've done in quite a while. I have a three month old, so I'm not on there a lot. Um, 
but I'm also a basketball career development coach who helps people who want to work in the basketball industry kind of develop strategies and approaches that help them take the next step in their careers. And if that's something you're interested in, you can look up more about that uh, at yourhoopscareer.com. And that's what I got. Well, there it is. Listen, this, these are dear friends of mine just in general, like life. These are my basketball guys. This has been the first time we've all been able to come together. This will not be the last. I'll tell you right now. Garrett already mentioned it. But we're going to be doing a lot more collabs. And, like, you want to talk about somebody you could throw out a subject and people just deep dive watch games you don't even need to watch for days on end or whip up tremendously detailed Google Sheets full of content to talk about. Like, these are the two. I, I'm, I'm just really happy to have done this. The B-Ball Buddies the three-pointers, whatever you want to call the unholy big three, all of that. Like, <laughs> it's not the last y'all heard of it. I hope y'all enjoy the show. This was a lot of fun to do and just have a discussion with really good friends of mine. So definitely make sure to check it out. Follow us all. Great stuff across the board. We're going to get these guys out here. It's late for some of us, one of us, I think for sure. And Garrett on the other side, even though he's a night out. So for Garrett, for Josh, who's the father, needs to go to sleep as well. For myself, who, you know, just work in the morning. We're all frosty. Y'all stay frosty and we'll talk to y'all real real soon. All right, y'all.